Warning, Spoiler Chats is a series where we discuss games all the way from their presentation, gameplay, and of course, story, meaning that we do spoil the stories of these games. If you've yet to play this game, but would still like to hear our thoughts on it, please consider playing the game, coming back, and then listening to our thoughts. If you want to hear our thoughts without playing the game, feel free to continue listening. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to a long past due uh, episode of Triangle Squared Presents Spoiler Chats. I am joined, of course, as always, by one Mr. Chris Figs. Hello. How's it going? And then if you feel a chill in your spine, <laughs> it might just be the spirit of vengeance that is the ghost of Blake Popes. Blake, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I hope you guys are doing well. How are you doing, Brett? In the ethereal world, I'm doing quite well because I'm not there yet. So in the <laughs> physical world, I'm doing even better. But, you know, I like to think that my spirit's not aging alongside you yet. Yeah. It sucks in the afterlife. I'll tell you that much. Lots of, lots of just droning, droning on the same thing every day. Mm. Yeah. Have, have you, you think you have FBI agents in the afterlife? <laughs> I hope not. God, <laughs> how many ghost hunters do you uh, do you see on a daily basis? <laughs> Zach Baggins in there, just like oh, oh, somebody touched my back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that, bro? Did you feel that? No, I liked the I like the thought that even in death, that you can't escape your FBI agent. <laughs> He's just yeah. like, I will, I will find this guy, and I'm going to bring him <laughs> down for something, spirit and all. That's why so many FBI agents commit suicide. They have to follow the person they're following into the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> Bad news, Phil. Brett killed himself. <laughs> oh, God. Do I even get to tell my wife and kids goodbye? Absolutely <laughs> no, not. you could be missing important data. <laughs> Go, Phil, and may God be with your soul. <laughs> well, guys, we are here today to talk about what has been a pretty hot button game of mixed opinions across the internet. And that is the Callisto protocol, the spiritual successor, as it was dubbed for dead space. And in many ways, I think that that is clearly in its DNA while trying to do something new, but we're going to get into that and kind of share our thoughts, break down the game, things that we thought worked, things that we thought didn't look at the mechanics, how they help or hurt towards what the designers were trying to do. And overall, what our thoughts are on the game. So I think to start this off, I kind of want to get a quick synopsis at the beginning of this of where everyone sits with the game and their current liking. And then for fun, I kind of want to revisit it after we discuss it and see if that opinion goes up, down, or remains roughly the same. Because sometimes discussion can really give you new perspective on something and change the way you feel about something. Um, so I'll start with that and say that of the three of us, I feel relatively comfortable saying that I think I'm the most positive of the three of us toward the game while still having some fairly large issues that I feel cropped up or at least became overbearing within the last two chapters. So that's kind of where I'm at. If I had to give the game a score as much as I don't love the thought of doing that, 
I think I would rest it at a good six and a half, which I don't think is awful, but it's definitely not close to the uh, 82 that I predicted it's Metacritic would land at uh, <laughs> on Twitter. So <laughs> where did the Metacritic land at? I think in the six, the low, uh, the high seven, oh, no, low seventies. Chris 70s? confirmed. Okay. It may have adjusted since launch but i think it was low 70s gotcha. blake for now i'm gonna pass on to you you get guest preference here and chris right. will be last in his dirty seat no i'm kidding <laughs> blake what do you think of the game <laughs> well figs clearly has something to say it's a 72 on metacritic 72 okay so it didn't move from the last i saw it but blake thoughts on the game so i really liked the first half up until like, I guess we can just spoil anything at this point. Yeah. Go for it. All right. So, like, up until the snowy part where you get thrown outside or whatever, I really enjoyed pretty much everything. The There was only a couple times where the combat got on my nerves with multiple enemies, but I was really, really liking it. And then it got outside and it slowed down a lot, and multiple enemies became more of, like, a common occurrence, and I really kind of fell off the game from there. Pretty hard, actually. So overall, if I got to give it a rating, probably a five, five and a half, because it's not the worst game I've ever played, but I don't absolutely love it either. Yeah. Well, and I think just so everyone knows the context, because it is kind of hard to live in the modern gaming sphere and be part of it on Twitter and, and social media and not feel like a five is viewed as God awful. And the irony is that five is just mediocre it's middle yeah. ground middle of the road yeah so chris that brings you as as our last person let's get a quick check-in on you where you thought uh the game landed if you had to give it a score and then your just general thoughts on your enjoyment of it one way or the other i think i liked the game up until about exactly where blake was talking about in the outside snowy area but i think it was after that because i think this outside snowy area was kind of a cool like oh this is different like, this is kind of scary. Yeah. Like, you don't know yeah. which one of these is alive, you know? Um, but after that, it just became a slog. I don't think the game was very fun. I think the combat was starting to get frustrating. Mm-hmm. So it was at that point where I was like, oh, God. And I, I'm glad we're doing a spoiler chats because I hate the story for this game. And that was, like, the point where it started to really, really grind my gears. Yeah. So I guess if we're doing number ratings, I'm a little surprised that I'm the lowest with a solid three, but <laughs> that's that's my rating is three out of ten. <laughs> I will say the story was so like nothing, like a nothing burger, I guess, that mm. if it wasn't a horror game and I didn't have to like my brain didn't force me to play with like a headset on in the dark, I would have just turned off all the sound and listened to a podcast. But because it's a horror game, I stuck through it and listened to the whole thing, (laughs) for better or worse. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You'll talk about the uh, the story, but the snow part of the game, right? And I thought that that part was great. Much like Chris, I thought that Mm -hmm. it was a really nice, like, oh, this is a change of pace. And if anything, it was at a point when the game was starting to kind of feel like it was winding down. So it was a really nice thing for me to have because it felt like this was the cure for the the gray hallways and the sure starting to feel predictable but you know looking at what y'all are talking about chris uh before we get into the earnest discussion would you say that part of why it slows down or it sloops all the way down to a three for you is because of how 
the story goes or is it mm-hmm. primarily gameplay? Like if you had to say which one primarily pushes it that much further down, which side of the coin would it be? It's. I think it's a situation where a good story can save bad gameplay and, ba- and good gameplay can save a bad story. And this game has bad gameplay and a worse story. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like, both mat mixed together, but I think the story without if the story was non-existent, the game would be probably a five. But the fact that the story exists yeah. and someone had to write that and thought, yes, this is good, brings it down to a a solid yeah. three for me. I think this game is a really big example of people viewing games more positively or more negatively based on how much they allow story to impact their personal feelings, and that's a game to game basis even then because. Some games, like you say, are so fun that they completely eschew the need for a good story. You just accept the story you're giving because the core gameplay loop works for you in such a way that all you need is a very paper-thin excuse to keep doing the gameplay loop. Sure. Which already exists from it being fun. So to get this show kind of on the road and really get started in earnest on the discussion, um, I'm going to kind of outline what we're aiming to do here with the game. This is our first spoiler chats in a while, but I kind of looked at them and thought I want to be a little bit more poignant with them and a little more thoughtful in how we prepare to go into them. So what I want to start off with is looking at the introduction of the game because it's a great way to get into the story setup, how the game chooses to show you its story and introduce you to it. And then, of course, how it chooses to introduce you into the mechanics and systems of the game. Uh, And then from there, we're going to go on and look at things like its playability, its core gameplay loop, and its scare factor, which all have objective markers while still being subjective things in the long run. Before we get to the stories, characters, themes, and then lastly, how that all culminates together to help or hurt with the end game. Uh, So starting this thing off, the first thing that we're going to look at is the introduction into the game. So as everyone may remember, you start the game with Jacob on the ship with his friend and you're kind of given the feeling that maybe they're doing something illicit, but it's never actually said or stated and it's never stated whether they're aware or unaware. And so it kind of gives you this vague story set up, not too far from what was happening with Dead Space before getting you up out of the chair, moving you around and beginning to introduce you to movement in the game how, you know, finding little collectibles and how much you can go off the beaten path introduce you to uh, specifically the way that you will crouch and navigate in those ways throughout the story before finally ramping the action up. And I like to look at the game as a kind of, uh, for this story, a calm before the storm kind of setup. And so I want to look at you guys at how well you think the game set up its story and its characters, at least at the very beginning. Most of the main characters of the game are in the beginning uh, introduction and then how it sets up the mechanics. So I think starting with story specifically right now, Blake, I want to defer to you. How do you feel like the story and the characters are actually introduced? Do you feel like it was done in a way that initially drew you in or do you feel like it was generic enough that it didn't go one way or the other and it let the gameplay kind of start to be its thing i would say looking back at it now it is pretty generic i guess but at the like while playing it while watching the not not playing it i guess while watching the intro and the first cutscenes, i was intrigued i wanted to see you know mm-hmm. more about the planet and what was going on and like you said it definitely seemed like they were doing something sketchy 
but it also, you know, they're couriers, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't really know that they had an actual term they used in the game, but basically like delivery guys, death stranding in space or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> but they um but yeah, it definitely seemed like they're doing something shady, whether they knew it or not. You know, like maybe they don't always know what they have in their containers. But yeah, I was I was intrigued. I wanted to I wanted to know more from the get go. Okay. Now Chris, same thing to you. I liked the beginning. I thought it was interesting. I think I agree with with Blake that the game was implying that Jacob was doing something shady. I think I thought the beginning was interesting. I think the only thing is um, the stuff that happens towards the end of the tutorial I thought was kind of hard to understand. I didn't understand what we was going for. But, you know, I think the my problem with the story is established at the beginning and it's exactly what Blake and I just said. It's the Jacob is doing something shady. And even Blake said he was like, you know, he doesn't, maybe they don't know what they're carrying. And to me, it's like, why would they? Yeah. (laughs) You know, which is part of my fundamental hate for the story. Yeah. So digging into that and kind of putting my own opinion in there for this in particular, I felt like looking back at Dead Space and just to make it clear, Dead Space will be referenced a lot here because this game marketed itself to some degree off of it being a spiritual successor to Dead Space. And the same creative minds are going to look at similar ideas. So when you think about how this works, I think one of the downsides that this game faces that Dead Space didn't is that you start Dead Space on the Ishimura. And that means there's no disconnect where the game has to eventually onboard you into another section of the game. So this game chooses to be ship, which is a very short-lived, ephemeral place within the game. And then, bam, how does it get you into Black Iron Prison or whatever it's called? And I think that the difference there is that the game doesn't allow itself to slowly creep up on you and then smack you down the way that Dead Space did. So that disconnect is unfortunate. Now, of course, that's okay because that that calm before the storm still kind of works. It lets you see Jacob and how he feels about what he's doing, what his friend feels about what they're doing. And like you said, this feeling of unsure of what they're doing, but that it's just another job. And I think my only real problem is that the game hints towards him knowing that it may not be something good or what he thought it was before eventually betraying that with him acting like, what did I do? Why am I here? And then whenever the eventually you find the the girl coming in, him having this line of, oh, yeah, it's just health things, basically health packs. It, <laughs> it's medical supplies. Uh And I felt like the game kind of, it felt like the game was me having to vicariously live in denial through Jacob, which I didn't feel like the game did anything interesting with because you can have it be that Jacob the whole time is aware of his thing and the the stuff within that. But I know that that's something I want to save to look at with themes in particular. So setting up here, that idea still goes into the beginning of where Jacob feels like he's doing something fishy all the events happen. And then before we get out of the end of the introduction, that is where Jacob starts to feel like he has no rightful idea why he would be there. And that this is just so crazy. So Chris, you mentioned his friend and I was wondering if either of you know what he says when he's dying. 
because I didn't catch it. He says something to Jacob, like he grabs him and he whispers something in his ear. But I, I don't know if it was the audio mix or my TV was too low, but I couldn't hear it. And I'm trying to figure out if that establishes something that I missed down the line. I feel like I didn't. I don't remember not hearing it, but I don't remember yeah. what he said. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Which is a problem in and of itself because it means it wasn't interesting enough or unique enough to actually grip you and make you go, what the fuck sure. does that mean? Right. <laughs> It was it was literally like I that happened and I was like what what the hell did he say and then I turned <laughs> subtitles on so <laughs> I didn't. So you're saying cutscenes should have a rewind feature? Yeah, absolutely. Like a ten second back, you know, like on YouTube or whatever. Right, like in Forza, I get four of them through the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> you can rewind cutscenes four times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would actually be a pretty cool feature, and that would be a good selling point for the super blazing fast SSDs. You can work <laughs> the game in reverse. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I agree with you on that in particular, though, is that the, it's it's vague enough with enough mystery to pull you in. But then I feel like even the intro doesn't capitalize on that enough. And instead, it kind of shifts from the mystery of that to, well, we're going to use the chaos of the situation unfolding to be the new mystery and now we're going to kind of let that be the driving factor. And it does work, in my opinion. And it helps you get moving within the game. Um, but unless somebody wants to round off anything else specifically with story, uh, if you do, feel free to speak. Otherwise, I think we can kind of move into how the game introduces its litany of mechanics uh, and <laughs> features, one of them being the jump scare. <laughs> do you yeah. guys feel comfortable moving on into that? Yeah, move I'm on, good. brother. Okay. So... The game is pretty slow to introduce. M- much like many games, it's, it's yeah. a quick start. Hey, you get up out of the chair, you're going to move around. We're going to pull you downstairs. We're going to make you crouch. We're going to make you jump over and vault over something. We're going to make you open doors. We're going to give you these loose things. But one thing I feel like the introduction is really weird at is that it feels like it's a long time in the game before you're ever actually introduced to combat. And I felt like that was a little surprising because to me, it felt like looking back at that other side, that the lack of showing mechanics in that quick of a, uh, or, you know, finding a way to onboard me onto all mechanics quicker felt like they, f- they understood themselves to have the story chops to justify dragging the mechanical side of things out. Yeah. <laughs> when I don't feel that they did, but we get into our general thing of, how we navigate around the prison, how we actually combat with the guys in the long run before I would say the end of the introduction more or less feels like the moment that you get to Sam Whitworth's character in the tower mm-hmm. and he he gets knocked out and you go in through the door. Would y'all agree that that's kind of where the introduction is? Well, hold on. Because I feel like after that, they still show you about dodging in real time. So the hardest thing is, I don't even know how to describe where the introduction ends and starts, which could be a good or a bad thing mechanically. I feel like it's when you meet Elias. Like right outside your cell? Yeah, because I feel like that's when the game stops like popping stuff up. And is now it's, well, I guess that's not true, actually, because it pops stuff up far too late in the game, if we're being honest. I was going to say, it pops up stuff throughout the whole game. Yeah, which is fine. But I would say that the core mechanics are not fully under your belt until you get Elias out 
Is that right? No, because even that after seems... you get him out is when you go and fight Sam. Or, you know you know what I mean? You go well, have yeah, an interaction with Sam. That's why I would say that I think the intro ends when you meet him because that's when the game starts. I guess for all intents and purposes, the story actually starts, you know, because sure. you get that. It's more like there's the the prologue. And then once you get to Elias, the intent of the story to move you through that prison and get you to that ending in the you know is that's where it starts so i feel like that's what i would say is you meet elias that's the end of the intro and then there's still tutorial stuff sprinkled in yeah that sounds about right yeah and, and because we, as we know with video games you could be 30 hours into a game and get a whole new tutorial so mm-hmm. you, it's that it, it's less about when the tutorial ends and more when the story starts yeah ending. and it really comes down to gameplay because like one of the things i'm doing right now is playing nobody saves the world and mm. it's a game that essentially has to have these throughout because it's a it's got all these different forms and since every form plays differently it feels like you're constantly in a state of tutorial but not in a bad way and mm-hmm. to a degree, I guess I can give this game that is that it's kind of nice to feel like you never leave a tutorial because it makes the game feel like it's a more flowing idea because it doesn't feel like someone went through and like, well, we have to have a tutorial and introduction. So here it is with a hard cut. Mm-hmm. I think some games choose to do that in ways that are more palatable. Like I think we can we've all well, actually Blake. Have you played The Last of Us? A uh, little bit years ago. I didn't play very Did much. Did you get of it. past the introduction? I met um, the character. I can't remember his name. I think his Bill. mechanic. Bill. I met Bill. That's as far as I got. Okay. So far enough in for me to say that I think Naughty Dog attempts to do the same thing where they're not telling you this is an introduction in many ways and they're still going to give you other things. But the hard cut of the the yeah. what what is it the chris for in writing terms what do they call the inciting incident yeah. uh, for the story mm-hmm. that is clearly that so naughty dog chose to do something similar where the story feels like a flowing piece where you're not feeling a direct tutorial and then the game can kind of continue to show you these new ideas and i think that's come with games as they've continued to get more complex um so I'll actually give this game points for that. While it's a little hard to put your finger on exactly where the tutorial ends, that is a good thing. And the game continues to kind of unravel its systems and, and ideas to you throughout probably the first two or so hours. I feel like this game is the tutorial for the sequel, which is the real game. that will be longer than four hours. Ah, so it has or- mm. Order 1886 syndrome. This is the Order 1886 <laughs> of 2022. <laughs> of, of the Order 2048 20, or whatever it is. <laughs> 2207. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, guys. Um, so I guess with that in mind, well, now that we're kind of talking about or at least starting to brush up against the idea of how the game introduces you to its systems, one of the marquee, I, I guess, ideas behind the game is it's switch up from Dead Space from being something that's far more gunplay driven within interesting weapons to something Mm -hmm. that has those, but they play second fiddle to what was intended to be, and depending on how you feel about it, succeeds at being a more melee-focused experience. Well, I think the biggest difference there, too, is you said interesting weapons for Dead Space. I don't think any of the weapons in this game are interesting. No, <laughs> no, you're right. They're just very standard, basic, 
you know, like whatever. I only, I only had like three of them because I kept picking up ammo for the weapons I didn't like, so I stopped making the new ones. <laughs> yeah. Because then the game doesn't try and give you the right. ammo. It doesn't give you ammo for guns you don't have. So, and the pistol and the little bitty like pump shoddy are pretty much all I used. Now, do you talk about the riot gun or the uh, skunk gun? The riot one, the one they give you, like you can't, yeah, you don't yeah. have a choice. The skunk, I found the skunk, but I never used it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked the okay. AR in like a gameplay sense. I didn't think it was interesting, but it definitely right. was pretty powerful. So I enjoyed yeah. using it. I used that one for the final boss. I made it like right in front, like at the last uh, little weapon thing right before yeah, the final yeah. boss room or whatever. So I made that one there because I was having trouble with the boss and it helped. So so in looking at that, though, now that we have that an idea, where I kind of want to start doing is as much as we can, because no matter what, everything is going to be filtered through some layer of subjectivity. But I want to try and skirt this and separate and set aside our experience to look at the game in a more pragmatic way and kind of look at what we really see as its successes and failures within its systems based off of a number of different things. So I think the first area to look at there is what I'm going to call playability, which I think is Uh. just immediate positives and negatives within the opening hours that either pull you in or push you away from the experience within its onboarding and opening sections. Uh, And I think that this is a big point in the game where I feel like most people with by the time that they realize that the game is going to be primarily focusing on its melee side are going to choose to stay or go. Uh, so sure. to switch it up a little bit, Chris, Hi. going into the game, yeah, combat being one of them, but is there anything else that you kind of look at alongside combat that you feel like was a positive or an immediate negative to you that you felt like gave you good or bad vibes and started to make you think one way or the other about the game? And if so, what were they? Can you identify them? I know at the beginning of the game, the biggest thing pushing me through was how good it looks. Because for all the faults, it's probably the mo- the most beautiful game I've ever seen. Yeah, character yeah. models especially. Yeah. Although there was one thing where I felt like, I couldn't tell if it was a detail they did on purpose or a graphical glitch, where I felt like throughout the game, Jacob's hair got slightly longer. But like very slightly, but there was a little, it got a little bit more dense as the game went on. And I couldn't tell if they were doing it on purpose, but other than that, how long is the game technically like in, in their time? Is it just one day, right? Like 12 hours? Yeah, I feel like it's got to be less than a day. So his hair couldn't have grown, but I did. I felt like that too. Okay. Like his hair is like, I didn't, you're not the only one, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those lighting things or maybe it's one of those ideas where, Every, you know, you remember whenever The Witcher 3 introduced the idea that Geralt's hair would grow and you could cut it and everything, which was a yeah. very cool idea in 2015. <laughs> um, uh, and you saw a lot of other games start introducing that. Yeah, I Red feel Dead like that's something well. they might have said, mm-hmm. but it would have been kind of cool for it to be like a, a little Easter egg of like, if you pay attention, his hair does get a little bit. But it, I slightly. wonder if it's also <laughs> lighting, you know, like as you change within certain environments, it starts to look a little different. But that's a yeah. that's an interesting point. I don't know that I noticed that, Chris. Yeah. It, something like stuck in my craw. But other than that, I think the graphically it was gorgeous. Um, of course. At the beginning... As long as I don't like the the story at the beginning, it's intriguing enough, right? Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I wonder what happens. And then for me, it was like as it continued, it kind of fell apart. But the beginning, I was engaged and I wanted to see what's going on. 
I thought the combat at the beginning was fun. Like, I didn't hate it at the beginning, but I didn't feel the beginning relied on you having to dodge at all. Like, I thought that, like, at the beginning of the game, it always felt to me like you would do your three-hit combo, they would fall back, and then you'd take two steps back, they would swing at you and miss, and then you'd kill them. That's how I played the whole, like, first ten hours. And yeah, then yeah. right at the end, it was like, oh, I can't do that at all anymore. I have to run yeah. away and find time for this 50-second uh, health animation to go off. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> The worst health animation. Dude, when I was trying to fight um, Two-Head, yeah. and I'm trying to heal, and you have to like stun lock him, which means you have to waste ammo because mm-hmm. that's the only time you can heal. Like, this sucks. But it's also the only time you can actually kill him, too. Exactly. So you have to pick, yeah. like, do I want to extend the fight but heal, or do I right. want to try and shorten it and not heal? But the game was also never clear. So I think we're getting a little farther than I think Brett wants to get, but when we got... I was remember messaging you guys in the chat of how frustrating that that fight was for me. Mm-hmm. And it's because I didn't know that you were supposed to melee him. Yeah. So, so I was just yeah, emptying my clip for two hours trying to beat this fight without using melee. And then mm-hmm. eventually I just did it and it worked. Chris, I'm so glad that you made that remark because when I got there, I said, I don't know exactly what context Chris was saying this in, but I remember him saying something about meleeing him. And I knew that you couldn't melee him while you're actually, while he's up and moving. So I thought the only opportunity you may have to hit him is here. But here's here's where I still, up until the final one, the like the, the last section of the third one and then the final one, the fourth one, I had this part where I, I kept trying to do the, I think it was the heavy hits on him. It was either the heavy or the light hits, and they don't do anything. You have to do a specific hit, and then it moves the fight along significantly farther. So mm. I remember the first one I fought, I felt like this takes so long and is is so boring. And then when I got to the last two and was kind of doing it right, I thought, oh, this is not nearly as bad when you don't feel like it's going on forever. Exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Um, so going back to this idea of, of positive and negatives, I, I know that I, I agree with you on, on the graphics side of things. And like Blake said, it's kind of hard not to look at the game and not think, damn, it's gorgeous, because it, it yeah. is. And as it should be, I think if the game did not look stellar, um, people would be a lot quicker to point out its linearity, which I don't view as an issue personally, but I could see how some people want you know, when you think about games, open worlds are harder to make look pretty because of how much work has to go into keeping them streaming, at least mm-hmm. at the same level as a game that's completely linear can do. So when a game like this comes along, it's a very easy and quick selling point to be like, well, since we are mostly corridors and uh, tight areas, we don't have yeah. to expend all this stuff going out there and probably a lot of the same textures throughout because it is the same kind of corridors too so they're reusing so much and it makes sense to reuse it doesn't look like they're reusing it i mean i guess it does but you know what i mean like it fits well like the best thing is in real life you don't realize yeah the texture on your drywall in every room is slightly different but as far as you're concerned drywall looks like drywall (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah Yeah. you could get a little more specific but at least within most houses it matches so if you're walking through every room of your house you wouldn't be like these fucking lazy contractors use the same texture (laughs) on every wall in this house this is bullshit you know this is a ps5 i mean (laughs) every time i get into the into a boat i get in the same way (laughs) 
<laughs> Fair point. I will say, I think it is the best looking game I've played. Like Horizon Forbidden West, for all of its faults, is a freaking gorgeous game, but it, it still is. looks like a video game. This almost like there were parts where I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this yeah. doesn't even look like a video game. It looks fucking real. Like it looks good. And it's the same ideology, right? You get to scale everything down and pare everything down to what you know your player's going to interact with, whereas right. Horizon has to go, well, they can interact with millions of points of this map, yeah. and every point of the map looks so different. So, yeah, there's a yeah, lot of I, there's benefits to that. Yeah, I wasn't trying to compare an open world. That's just the next probably best gorgeous-looking game that I've played. No, so course. that's the first one I thought of. <laughs> uh, so while we're on this particular point, uh, I told I remember telling Chris that not only from a gameplay standpoint did I feel like this game's uh, combat sections, certainly later in the game when it's trying to be a little more stealth-oriented, feel like The Last of Us to me. And ironically, I also felt like this game, the closest I feel like a game has looked to being this good-looking is The Last of Us Part Two. Like, I feel like... As, this game does look great, and in many ways, it even looks better than The Last of Us Part Two. But sometimes, and it may just be artistry, something about The Last of Us Two felt more emotive than this. And sure. I think it may have just been better directing and understanding how to show things to the player, even if it means kind of like the rules of animation, slightly exaggerating things to get something across. Uh, but this game was still fantastic looking. So... Chris, you're talking about this idea of, of gameplay, and Blake, mm. I kind of want to get your, your thought on that too. And then I want you to, of course, expound on your other ideas of what you thought was good and bad from a playability standpoint. Sure. But, you know, combat evolving in a game is expected. Halo. So yeah. in some ways, <laughs> yeah, Halo. Uh, combat evolved. In some ways, <laughs> you want the game to not play exactly the same by the end as it is in the beginning. But at the same time, there's something to be said about a game setting and a pace for something and then changing it. Uh, do sure. you feel like you agree with Chris on the game feeling like it completely changed what it expected of you as a player by the end of the game? In a sense, yeah. So my biggest problem with the way it changed is that it, also, it became, because of that two-headed monster that kept showing up, like what seven times and all of a sudden became like a gun fighting game where you have to shoot him so it's like yeah. it almost was like the dev's excuse for you to waste ammo because like they're like oh by now he should have so many resources and he doesn't need those so let's get him out of there <laughs> like let's waste all of this guy's time and ammo so like it did change in that sense but i don't think it changed very much like just in the in the basics you know like it's still the same melee it's just when that enemy appears i think that it changes a lot yeah. And, you know, a lot of games will use boss encounters, and I would call this a mini boss encounter. But sure. sometimes games will use mini boss encounters to either introduce a new mechanic or mm. to force you to really think about and use a mechanic you recently learned in a game. And interestingly, I found that this game doesn't do that. And it's also because this mini boss comes so late in the game. And, and so frequently. You, you fight it four times mm -hmm. in the last two chapters. Um, and, and technically the very end of the, of the sixth chapter. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it feels like they didn't attempt to, it, it feels like they tried to 
push them into too much of an area. Because, you know, I don't know that I actually mind that they reuse the same mini boss. I think I mind that they didn't try and introduce this back and forth with this type of enemy earlier in the game so that it felt like there was longer sections between them and they felt more deliberate and less like, oh, he's starting to get a lot of, like you say, a lot of resources. Yeah, I don't think you had enough resources to fight him early on. Yeah, and that might be the case because, and, and so going back to that, I guess let's look. When I'm thinking of playability, I am, and I know it's easy to kind of creep into the later hours of this game that because partially the game's not very long, so it's easy to feel that way. Um, but in the opening hours, you know, those onboarding opening section, did you feel like there were any immediate positives or negatives for you that kind of pulled you one way or the other? You know, I think, again, like, I hate to keep, like, hounding on that, but the first two hours are important to make sure you you enjoy the melee combat and just the aesthetic and do you like horror games? <laughs> but at that point, like, why did you buy it if you don't know if you like horror games or not? But it just changed so much, I guess, in what, chapter five or six, right after the snow, I think, to where, like, that's really when it's, like, it's too late to, like, stop. You know what I mean? Because you're so close to the end. Like, I really... I probably would have quit, but I was like, oh, I'm only three chapters from the end, so I'm going to finish it. So your argument is that if the game would have tried the same trajectory within a shorter period of time to help you understand what would eventually become of that playability might have actually been crept up and and stopping you. Yeah, I would have stopped Mm. pretty immediately (laughs) if I had known what it was going to be later in the game. Because like I said, the first half I loved. I really, really enjoyed the first half of the game. So, Blake, I know you're a big movie buff, and I think that this is an interesting comparison point in this. Uh, something that you see often in movies, uh, it talked about, and even sometimes when you watch them, you can feel what people mean when they say this. Uh, there are a lot of movies that really excel in their first and second act, and they sure. stumble into their third act and have a hard time resolving on a strong note. And I've noticed in recent years that games, while they add this interactive aspect of gaming mm-hmm. into it when they're games that are trying to really front something from a story perspective or trying to really do something that they think is interesting within the gameplay loop that changes in a huge way that the same kind of aspect starts to creep up in certain games where it feels like third act syndrome where third third act hits and suddenly it's like either it feels like a different game or it feels like the intent behind what the game was trying to do has changed. And that can be on purpose and impactful, but it can also feel like the game has kind of lost itself. Do you think the game, do you feel like that's how you feel about this game is that it's a third act issue game? Yeah, I guess so. Like I said, I don't, I don't know exactly when, what, at what point, like how far it's only six hours. So it's hard to really say when the last, when it started to go downhill for me personally. So it's the last, last half to last third. Yeah. Just about and just to, cause I know everyone's going to say something different. I didn't actually check my time. If I had to guess, I think I played for eight hours. Uh, yeah. I saw some people say that when they were playing on the hard difficulty, which was their first time that they it took them 11 hours. Yeah. I was five fifty eight. Yeah. And I think that this game is going to have a same issue as the order where, Depending on the type of player you are, depends yeah. on your time. Your time. Um, and I played on easy, so that, that definitely okay. affects your overall time as well. That's an interesting. Did you play on easy from the get go, or did you play on easy after the onboarding hours? That those first two hours where you felt like 
okay, I'm interested enough, but I'm not liking the combat enough to want to still do it at this difficulty level. Yeah, so I, I switched it down from hard. I already knew that there was that glitch for the trophy or whatever, so I fully expected to do it at some point if it got too difficult. But it got, you know, once there was some um, multiple enemy encounters back-to-back, I was like, all right, I'm 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 not going to beat myself over the head with it. I'm just going to drop it down to easy. So I played probably 80 90% of it on easy, most of it for sure. Okay, gotcha. All right, now, Chris, uh, I think d- d- just out of curiosity, did you? Uh, I know that you knew about the glitch as well. Did you play the majority of the game on easy, normal? Oh, easy, hundred percent easy. Interesting that you say that because we're going to drop down. I played the game on easy as well, and it. I mainly played it on easy because I just. I found myself getting frustrated with the game, and I'm not even going to say it was entirely the game's fault. I think the game aims to try and be challenging. Uh huh. And I don't even know when we're looking at this idea of playability. I felt this pretty early on. I started the game on normal, and partially because I wasn't going for platinum. I knew you were, and I think Blake. Did you end up platinuming the game as well? I didn't because I didn't want to watch, look at a guide to get collectibles on my first playthrough. Sure. And I really thought I would love the game. So <laughs> I went, I was like, oh, I'll beat it and then immediately turn around. It's real short. So I'll just go through again and get the collectibles and then beat it. And was like, this game sucks. I'm not going back through it to get collectibles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's what we talk about with recency bias in a very different way. It's recency bias to where your worst parts of the game are at the end. And so you yeah. don't want to go back and experience the parts that you actually did like. <laughs> yeah. Eventually I will because it is short. It just doesn't take too long. So I'll get it eventually when I forget how bad the second half of the game is. <laughs> what he means to say is January 1st, 2023, when the trophy war starts, he'll go back and get the platinum. <laughs> I have slowly started working on about 15 games. I'm getting there. January 1st, I'm <laughs> popping 20 Platinums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. See, the, that's where having it be counted towards all trophies is important because if you just get a bunch of games close to Plat, you're still going to miss out on a lot of score. Yeah, but generally the rarest ones are the last ones you get. You are correct. Okay, that in mind, I think to wrap up playability for me, I think looking at the beginning of the game when we talk about uh, the literal beginning uh, of walking through the ship and everything. One thing that became immediately clear to me is I didn't think the game was going to be very effective and, and, and scaring me, which felt kind of unfortunate. And that's because the right out of the gate, they have, you know, in the first 10 minutes, that section where you're walking through the, and there's a pipe that busts beside your head. And I, I literally kind of, side like when it happened i was like (laughs) and i was like you really you thought that was it that was gonna be the thing but i was willing to let it go so that was the first thing that kind of hit me uh one thing i liked was the more deliberate pacing of walking and things like i was like i could see Mm -hmm. how this could work out you know one of the endearing things of dead space is tank controls right this idea that isaac is is heavy the only thing that i felt was weird about this is while I, i physically like tank controls in certain games I remember feeling like, why does Jacob have tank controls when he's wearing a leather jacket and jeans? <laughs> yeah. Like Isaac is wearing a, a miner's outfit, which is heavy metal. That leather's <laughs> just real tight. He can't move very well. You ever put like a, a leather jacket on that's too small and you're like stretching? <laughs> to get it, like you get your arms up. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you're just Chris Farling at Fat Guy and Luca. Uh, but I remember like the only part of the game where I felt like the tank controls felt sensible within the con- within the constraints of the story was when you put the the outside suit on and you're playing the like you know the majority of the later half of the game with the armorish style suit with the helmet on i thought okay this feels right because it it Mm -hmm. looks bulky it looks like it would do that um so but but since i have a soft spot for tank controls i was immediately like oh this is cool i like this uh the the scare got me but it's funny going on to that idea of playability i'd already heard a couple of people talking about how the game was more melee focused than they thought but i didn't at that time have any kind of outward thoughts from other people about whether it was good or bad just that it was mm-hmm. unexpected so when it, it first I think started mixed yeah well when, whenever i first started and i it was talking about dodging i was like okay i like this this feels like xbox 360 fight night round three which i was obsessed with playing the demo because i couldn't afford the game i play yeah. the same demo and just dodge and and kind of juke and i was like this is cool i kind of like this idea it's interesting until you're thrown in the ring with four other guys <laughs> and that's when the game kind of came clear to me once it starts throwing more people at you this is where i ran into something with with playability in that this directly goes into the experience and where it's probably better on computer um and only this particular point since computer had a lot mm-hmm. of uh, performance issues but in horror games i understand the want to pull the camera up close to you and have you be in the field of the player because that claustrophobic nature of pulling the camera in can lead to some pretty horrific things. You don't see things coming. There's an element of surprise. But I think the problem with that is when the game is not tense because of the story or the atmosphere or anything, and it's only tense because you're thinking, "Ah, the field of view is pushed so in close on Jacob that when they start introducing multiple enemies, it's almost impossible to be able to tell if enemies are behind you, how you need to dodge. The game does not have systems set in place for you to dodge multiple enemies at once. Instead, if you get multiple ones on you, you have to dodge and then you're going to get hit by the next one that's coming in because you can't immediately dodge again. And I can understand where the game tries to introduce this idea of putting the impetus on the player to create space. And this idea of like, okay, well, if people are coming at you and there are multiple, you need to use the abilities at your disposal to either create space by physically hitting them back or pushing them back with a grip glove. And on paper, I like the idea. Scan the room. Look at what's coming. Think about what you have to work with and then create the solution for this puzzle in your head that's going to be unique to each player as they think about and interact with these mechanics. And that was probably one of the first things about the game coming in is that the game did not really do enough to play with that idea and give you a lot of interesting elements to do that with. And so I think it failed to do that. But I think this is a good way to kind of move into the core gameplay loop because combat in many ways is the core gameplay loop. This Mm -hmm. game does have exploration uh, not in great degrees, but also not surprising considering it's a linear game. Um, a lot of the exploration is like dead ends. Of course. It's, it's hey, yeah. go off and find this random space that has a, uh, like you said, and this depends on if you're liking the weapons, if you find them interesting mm-hmm. or not. You know, this, this isn't the, hey, you can cut off limbs by slicing them with a plasma cutter. Hey, you can pin yeah. people to the wall by using this nail stake gun and shooting them up. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
with those things in mind, the expiration's there, but then the question becomes, and this is a big part of core gameplay loop, does the core gameplay loop pull you into wanting to explore or does trying to explore weaken or hurt? Uh, weaken, hurt, or help that gameplay loop. So I think the questions we need to be looking at and thinking about within this section are, what are the systems? Which I think we've kind of covered to a degree. But more importantly, what was the designer attempting to accomplish with each, one, which, with each one of these systems? And then does the game succeed or fail at meeting the intent of the designers? Um, so in looking at that, Blake, I'm going to start with you on this one. Sure. What would you say from your own mind's eye what would you say the core gameplay loop of this game is? I don't know. It's kind of tough. I mean, because when, when I think, I don't know, maybe this is, maybe I'm not understanding, but when I think of like a gameplay loop, I think of like a multiplayer game or like a game where you're doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Like yeah, to, sure. like you're looping it around doing the same thing to try and, you know, upgrade your gear, do whatever, this and that. So, sure. Sure. And that can be a gameplay loop. Yeah, so that's what I I think of when I hear that phrase. So, but I guess you know the gameplay loop of like wanting to explore wasn't really there for me. I would just in hopes to get more like resources or whatever, but it wasn't out of like oh I want to see what's over here. It was more of like oh I hope there's like a health pack over here. <laughs> sure. So just to throw out for any listeners who may not know either, uh, the idea of a core gameplay loop is basically just typically referred to in a small amount of time where it's the idea of the type of gameplay you're going to be doing, the way that you interact with mechanics and actions that are taken by you that are meant to drive you to want to keep doing that. So if you think about uh, a game like God of War, your core gameplay loop is combat, exploration, and then story kind of plays into that because all those things are happening during combat and explanation or exploration. So your, your core gameplay loop is all right. And in any 45 second or minute and a half section, these are the things that you might be brushing up against combat with some group of people and then you the core gameplay comes from how you have to interact with those combat variables sure. okay now there's a puzzle to break that up and then the puzzle may give you re- loot reward and then that loot reward comes back into you equipping it so that you can go back into combat better so that then you can solve another puzzle get more loot and keep going that's that game that's like a diablo gameplay loop as well this sure. gameplay loop this game has got a different stage set for that because it's not so RPG driven. So, you know, I guess what would I say if we're looking at the idea of core gameplay loop, what do you think was the core use of the gameplay that you felt was trying to get you to keep playing by a series of actions? I don't know. Cause really it was just the story, I guess like at least for the most part, you know, after I didn't much care for the story towards like the last couple chapters, but I, you know, I wanted to see what happened and hopefully, you know, find some different types of enemies and stuff in the combat. But like exploration was never a part of it for me, like it, not in this game, at least because sure. the combat was so bad. I didn't want to explore because a lot of those dead ends, I don't know if y'all explored as much either. I mean, I guess you did, Chris, because you got all the collectibles or everything. But a lot of those dead ends were just sure. enemy ambushes. Yep. Like just like you get to the end, there's like five or six enemies and it's like fucking shit, man. <laughs> Even if I find ammo our health back there. I've just used up the ammo and health that I'm about to find. 
Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, and, and, you know, you might be brushing against the actual problem for you in particular is that you don't feel like there is a gameplay loop that's actually um, prevalent enough that you even realize it and it keeps you going. I think for yeah, most that things that you think about, you can, you can find the thing that keeps you going. Like, you know, I look at, and I think Chris has played a good number of roguelites as well. So uh-huh. Hades is a really good example of... The core gameplay loop of Hades is kill something, cl- clear a room, you know, kill enough stuff to clear a room, look at what drops you get, figure out what next room you're going to go to so that you can figure out what is going to change in your primary build, and then equipping that so that the next room you clear is hopefully easier. And then you basically just keep doing that every minute, you know, because it doesn't take long to clear a room until you get far enough to, okay, boss, now we're going to move you up and we're going to com- we're going to do the same gameplay loop in a new environment and with new opportunities. And we're going to keep doing that until you eventually clear the game. It's It's simple. It's more mundane. You know, it's not trying to look at overarching ideology for the game it's just simply what are you going to do from moment to moment in this gameplay and yeah i think as much as i did like this game i do actually think that the problem with the core gameplay loop is that there isn't much of one it the core gameplay loop is just walking mostly straight yeah and then brushing against enemies and then even then does that stay interesting enough for six hours, eight hours? Because I, I put a note in here on how gameplay loop interacts with length of the game. And the problem is, is that the game does have a gameplay loop. But the problem is, is that if the gameplay loop starts to feel boring, it means the game was too long for what that loop was. And that means that they didn't really craft and create a perfect gameplay loop that was able to sustain the game's length that they were going for. And it's not even a long game either. And it's not even a long (laughs) game. So it kind of leads you to think here, like what was their expectation for people to be, and and why, why does the game need to be long? Is it just to meet industry standards? I don't think it was for the story because the game didn't have enough story to even fill the, the six to eight hours that it's going to take most people. And so I think that that comes into that. But Chris, I'm going to kind of shoot over to you. Do you feel like this game has a core gameplay loop for you? And if not, what do you think that failure is? And I I want to ask both of you, uh, by the time we get to the end of this uh, section, what do you think would be an ideal gameplay loop for you if you feel like you can answer that? But Chris, let's kind of start with you on your ideas around or your thoughts on the existing gameplay. Well, I think the problem with this game is i think the core gameplay loop of walking forward is interrupted by mediocre combat like i think that's the biggest problem with the game is that it's not because you guys were talking about there was some exploration and i kind of let you go but as someone who not to say your experience is less valid than mine but i platinum the game right so i saw every nook and cranny and the exploration really was you get to the end of this hallway that has two enemies in it and a box, and then you leave. Yeah. Or yeah. even worse than that, it was two enemies in a hallway with a Skyrim dungeon exit right there. That was the whole thing. So there was no exploration. So really for me, it was, okay, if I wasn't going for Platinum and I just wanted to see out the story for some reason, all I would have to do <laughs> is hold the right, the left stick forward. That's it. 
I know there's like obviously nuance to that, right? Like you have to go find key cards occasionally, but I think the biggest failure of this game is that they didn't incorporate anything interesting into it. There were no puzzles. There was no, hey, you need to get the machine gun because you need to rapid fire shoot at these things so that you can open this door. Like, I understand we're not talking about Resident Evil, but there's a reason that Resident Evil is so prevalent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the one thing that was really disappointing to me. And Callisto was like, yeah, okay. The the game looks great. The story exists. The combat is heavy. I guess it's the best compliment I can pay it. And mm-hmm. but there is nothing else to break up the monotony of walking forward. There's no hey, you need to go back and find the keys to open these doors, or even hey, if you go through this tunnel, you've now opened the store and you can go back to the beginning of the place. You know, there was none of that stuff that made the game more interesting. Where you know, I expected Elias to come back. I don't know if we've mentioned he passes away. And that would have been a perfect opportunity for, okay, oh no, you know, Elias is, we get a transmission and we hear him, he's still alive, and we go back and we've opened up these shortcuts. And, you know, yeah. that's, I think it's a Take lot of missed opportunity. Right. It's just a lot of missed opportunity where I think the game is eight hours. And I think, it sounds weird to say because I didn't really like the game and I don't think any of us would really say we loved it, is I feel like making the game longer by adding more gameplay would have made it better. I like agree. This is, this is a six-hour experience, but if it was 12 with some puzzles and some variation to the combat or an interesting villain, you know, then the, I think the game would have actually benefited from being longer because they're incorporating this stuff. They're incorporating some Metroidvania elements, some puzzle elements, yeah, anything like that. Well, Brett had mentioned earlier, not earlier, like five minutes ago before you start talking, Chris, but, mm. you know, there's nothing wrong with the short game. No. Right? My problem with the game being short is that it's six hours, but it feels like 12. Yes. Like the last yeah. four hours took forever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. that's my complaint is like, yeah, it's short, but it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, like that's really bare bones answer, but you know what I mean? Like it just, it just dragged and dragged. Yeah. To your point, when Chris says the game could be longer by adding more gameplay and that it would help. Yeah. That's probably true, but I think what would actually be even better is to pair it back and say the game could be the exact length that it is, but mm-hmm. you use that six to eight hours far more nuanced and with more variety. Because if I remember correctly, and I'm going to use how long to beat just for reference here. Resident Evil 8, from what I understand, it's I haven't played it yet, is only about eight hours. Nailed it. Now, it shows main story nine and a half hours, but I think eight is still a perfectly fine thing. So if we say that this game at its at its best is roughly the same length as Resident Evil 8, why is it that Resident Evil 8 got so many awards and acclaims for being this short? It's because it was probably more interesting in its story, probably yeah, more mm-hmm. interesting with its characters, which is another thing we haven't gotten into yet, but we will. And then more interesting with its variety of gameplay. And this is a weird touchstone uh, but it's one I go to often in that games that understand that sometimes you have to break up things tend to do really well. So part of the reason that uh, for story purposes, or I should say campaign purposes, that Call of Duty Infinite Warfare is one of my favorite ones is because most Call of Duty games are very boots on the ground, or at least they were 
for a long mm-hmm. time prior. And not that that's a problem, but for me personally, I love that idea of you're shooting guns. You're playing a corridor shooter, which is what a lot of Call of Duty is. Okay, if this is starting to potentially get bored to anyone, guess what? You're not going to be doing it any longer. We're going to launch up into space. You're going to have a dogfight in a spaceship, and it's going to be more 360 spatial awareness. All right, cool. Is this starting to feel like it's it's verging on not being novel anymore? We're going to throw you out and put you in zero grab, and you're going to be shooting people while you're tethering from these mm-hmm. things. Then we're going to suddenly ch- switch up once more time, and we're going to have a stealth-heavy section inside of an enemy's spaceship where you have to walk around and not be detected. And I think of that game, and there's a lot of games that do that, they understand how to not be the same thing while using the same basic mechanics. So the yeah. core gameplay loop still exists, but it's using all of those systems in different ways. And this game doesn't do that. I want to get Blake. I don't know if, if you really mentioned much. Chris kind of heard me say this on the, in the discord. Um, I think one thing this game could have really done better in particular is actually borrow more from the last of us and its combat encounters, but having it to where the grip glove, which you can use to pick up a litany of different things, yeah, actually sometimes. allow you to use those items to create diversions and make noises. And that becomes, as Chris says, a kind of in-world puzzle in a weird way. So have it to be where you need to throw a bottle and hit something to lure in one of those blind mm-hmm. enemies who move based off sound onto something. As I said, they only move based on sound when it's like when it's okay for them to do that. <laughs> right. Well, and that's part of the annoyance, right? I told Chris that I can, uh, and Chris brought it up. You can sneak around them and be right beside them, and there's two of them side by side, and you stealth kill one, and it's the loudest fucking yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. And the other one's like, I didn't hear a thing. But then if you walk slightly too loud, three feet from it, like two feet from it, it's very close. They're like, you don't ah! have to walk. You just have to stand up. Yes. If you yeah. stop crouching, they hear you. Yeah, yep. which is amazing. It's so yeah. stupid. Maybe That's, it's just because he's old. His knees pop when he stands up. <laughs> <laughs> that part was, made me laugh, too, because it was you were like, there's no way to distract him. And I'm like, no, there's occasionally these little you know bleach bottles that you can throw across and they'll distract them. So it was like even the gameplay wasn't finally tuned enough where me and you had completely different experiences with a mechanic that neither yeah. of us is sure exists. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. Right. <laughs> I didn't even know you could pick up bleach bottles. Yeah. Yeah. There's like little bleach bottles, toolboxes, and random things you can pick up cans. You know, uh. so I was at one part, they have you up on the scaffolding where you walk up a ladder and there's a bunch of blind enemies in every corner. And to me, I thought, dude, this would be a perfect, like, if this game wanted to take a second and try to really be a stealth game, like a thief or uh, mm-hmm. something like that, it would be amazing if it was like, okay, to get to where I'm needing to go. And if I'm truly constrained on what I have, I need to set these enemies up in ways where I can kill them without alerting the other ones. So let me throw a bottle only close enough to where this one can hear it. And he's going to walk that way and that'll turn his back to me and I can walk up behind him and kill him. And that is going to Chris's point. That's a puzzle without feeling like a puzzle. It's, it's making solving the problem of how to get them in this position better. Uh, But I also like the idea of being like, hey, there's a pressure plate that two of you are needed for, but you and the girl split ways. So, hey, how about you throw a bottle in that corner and there's a pressure Mm -hmm. plate right there and you can get the guy to walk over there and stand on it for a couple seconds while you stand on the other one and it 
opens a machine. And maybe when that machine happens, it creates noise and all of them are alerted to what's going on and they all try and run towards it and you have to escape. You can create emergent gameplay within that and the game chooses not to utilize that. I think it's so asinine, like Chris said, to have enemies in the game that based off of sound and then be completely unsure if the game actually can use sound besides you walking too close or standing up around them as keys for sound. If that's the only thing they hear, I can stomp a box four feet from them (laughs) and they don't react. Yeah, There's a hallway with like six of them on the walls and then two feet from them in front of that is a thing you would stomp on the box and I thought, oh shit, when I stomp on this, they're all going to come down. Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I crouch back down and I start walking back down the hallway and I walk within like uh, 6 to 12 inches of one and it ah, and grabs me and I'm like, so you didn't hear me stepping on the box that I just stomped on mm-hmm. but here's where you find me. So yeah, uh, you know when we talked about tutorials earlier I don't even care if the game's teaching me stuff 8 hours in, 6 hours in do something interesting with what you have. Yeah. It's crazy to me that there's a version of this game that is truly excellent, all within the confines of what it already has. Yeah, it could have. It should have. <laughs> it should have been really good. Yeah, it's disappointing. It yeah. So one of the one of the core gameplay loops. This is a joke for me, but I think one of the core gameplay loops in this game is a jump scare because they happen so often that it's like they're terrified that you're going to forget it's a horror game. <laughs> And so they're like, every minute and a half, we have to have a leech thing jump out of a box, a head thing fly out of this little sack and, and bite you. That thing is... That's my, I think that might be my least favorite aspect of the game is the head. Because like you can't, you so can't dodge it. You just, it's just an automatic health like decrease. Yep. Which is what all of them are, right? Those little things that jump out of the lockers are the boxes that you open. Yeah. They only exist. They How exist they to try and scare you. Yeah. How did it get it, in the locker? It got in there box? and then closed itself in? <laughs> I'm going to get him. He's going to come around that corner in about four At hours. Least show holes fucking in the locker. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, but if they put holes in the locker, you'd know. So then you wouldn't open the box. You know, it's like they wanted to make a mimic and we're like, we can't do this creatively at all. So, yeah, screw That's it. Exactly what I thought was the mimic because they started doing it towards the end. I think the last like five chests all were mimics. <laughs> like, seriously, the last five chests I opened, I may have missed a couple actual chests, but I opened like five in a row right before the final boss and every single one of them was a health hit. And he, here, even the thing, even then, the irony is that in Dark Souls 3 and all the Dark Souls games that have mimics, you can interact with a chest, dodge the mimic trying to hit you in that short window, and yeah. kill it without ever getting hit and taking a single point of damage. And there's like things to notice. Even as sadistic and awful as Dark Souls is about wanting to hurt you, there's a chain. Look at the chain. Like This game is <laughs> yep. just like, no, fuck off. You're getting hit. Health hit. It's another yeah. resource thing. Like I said, like the two-headed enemies and the constant shit attacking you that you can't possibly dodge... It's just the game developers being like, I don't know, we put too many health packs and I'm not going to go back and delete any of them, so we're just going to put this guy here to hurt you. <laughs> so I didn't send it to you guys, but I do have it on my thing, and I'm, I'm going to send it to you in the long run. Not for you all to watch right now, but I do want you all to see it because it made me laugh. I was telling Blake about how often I would essentially break the game by knowing where one of the head things was. Yeah. 
and walking just within a sliver of an inch where it's supposed to activate, but you're still physically behind something. And if you just kind of float and take like a little micro step beside a door and go back, <laughs> it will endlessly play the sound cue. So it'll be like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because two times in the game, I was actually able to shoot the bag of the head before it was able to get me, even though the game clearly does not want you to be able to do that. Yeah. You pulled the Uncharted crushing difficulty thing. It allows <laughs> you to do it. Yeah. It That's what's funny. So th- there's a lot of things in the game where I'm like, it's it's like you expected people to do this, but then you gave them no way to actually do it within the normal confines of your design. Right. Um, it's incredibly terrible. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. All of the jump scares, I think, would have probably worked for some people. Like if they were one, two, or three times each throughout the game. Yeah. But the thing is that they become so laughable that by the end of the game, they literally were just huge annoyances. Yeah. The first time that face thing comes out, like, the I don't know what they're called, the big worm one that grabs yeah. you, that bites your face. It probably got me. Like, I don't remember, but I'm sure it made me jump. But then there was like 34 of them. And so yeah. eventually I'm just like, God damn it, dude. Now I just have to tap circle a bunch. And you know what's funny is that even if there's 16, right? Let's say that there's mm-hmm. 16. In a 16 and a six to eight hour game means that you're getting at least two per hour. Yeah. And there's probably at least eight to 12, maybe even 16 of the locker and box uh, things that jump out at mm-hmm. you. And so it becomes this thing where it's like the only memorable thing the game did that was still attempting to try and startle you. And I have to say, this is a good time to move into scare factor because <laughs> being a horror tire, a horror game, does the game actually utilize its design and gameplay to effectively keep you in a tense atmosphere? And does it exceed or fail at that? And I'm going to say that, even looking at it completely pulled back, I think it fails because even if it starts out being able to keep some people in a tense atmosphere because of the unknowing nature, uh, eventually it beats you over the head with them so often that everything that it's trying to do to be tense with starts to just feel like, oh, this is just part of the design language and it's not actually scary or unpredictable. It's it's predictable. It started being to where when I went into a new area, I felt like, okay, it's been about three minutes since a jump scare has happened. So I guess that means that I'm probably due for one within the next minute or two. And I was almost always right. Um, so in looking at that, <laughs> A, how do each of you think the game does from a scare factor? And that can be everything down to the atmosphere of the game, actually keeping a tense nature to you or not. Uh, so Chris, do you feel like the game lived up to its horror title, at, you know, uh, billing? Do you think in any way, shape, or form? No. Why? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> That's a hard question. I just it's don't, easy and hard. I just don't think it was scary. Um, I think it, it had moments where I was like, oh, ooh. That got me. Like the first time when burned up man from the plane at the beginning, like jump scares you. I was like, ah, spooky. And then they did it 80 other times (laughs) the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think the biggest problem is while while the game is atmospheric and gorgeous, the atmosphere is not one of fear. 
right? It's not scary walking through those well-lit hallways. It's scary or it's uh it's tense sometimes. Like when you're doing that whole like sewer section with the blinds, like that was a little tense. I was like, oh, oh, oh. but I think it's part of the failure of the gameplay of this game where that section was tense because there was no situation I wanted to fight in it. I did yeah. not want to have to engage in combat with those things because there was 80 of them. And you aggro one, you aggro all of them. Okay, so was it because of a sense of fear of them or annoyance? That's annoyance, annoyance. that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't scary or tense because it's like, oh, these things are going to kill me and I have to get around them. It was, I do not want to get fucking fight these things because I, I get through it. Like, I just got to shoot them a bunch of times. That's it. But I didn't want to do it. So it was like, I can't fuck up this stealth section because I don't want to fight all of this. It wasn't, I can't fuck up this stealth section because I'm scared and I'm going to die. It was, no, it was, oh, look at this well-lit school hallway with all these enemies hanging around. That was all it was. It was just rooms that were lit pretty well with enemies in the middle of it that you had to kind of sneak around and then they would bump into you and not aggro, but you would stand up and not move and they would aggro. It's just... The the gameplay and the lack of polish in some of those parts was, I think, what killed the tension. Because you would get scared for a little bit. You'd get nervous. You'd get tense. You'd tense up and be like, I got to get through this really well. But then the game would break because something would, would happen that would trigger an enemy or something would happen that you'd end up failing or five of them surround you and there's no possible way to dodge all of it. So then you end up dying and then you have to do it eight more times and then it just loses all of that. So that's, I think, where it lost me in terms of horror. But So one thing that you mentioned earlier was that when you got out to the snow section, you felt a sense of like, oh, well, you don't know which one they're going to hit. Do you feel like the snow section was at least a fairly tense spot for you that you felt like matched what the intent of the designer was there to actually try and keep you on your toes? Yeah, I think so. I think that was the closest to it. But <sighs> I think Bioshock did that better anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that was the closest part to where I could have been like, this is scary. But even in that part, I guess maybe it's a little, I don't know if hypocritical is the right word, but because there was only one enemy, it wasn't scary in there either because it was like, this is an easy fight for me. It would have been one thing if, see, that's where we, we go back to talking about the ways they could have improved the game just by doing simple gameplay mechanics, right? Like what if when you go out there, it, it, you you lose your entire inventory or your inventory doesn't work, right? Oh, it's it's too cold, so my health bar is frozen, you know? So then yeah. you go out there and it's tense because if you get hit once or twice, you're done. Instead, yeah. you get hit once or twice, you refill your health, and then it's easy, you know? So you just you just brushed onto exactly what I was thinking. And while it's on my mind, Chris, um, Blake, you ended up saying uh, you felt like, Bioshock did the same idea better. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if either of you have played on 360 uh, an old game by Sega called Condemned. Uh, a little bit, not a whole lot. There's a section in one of those games where you're walking through an area and it's dark and it's a first-person game, so that mm -hmm. does help a little bit. But and as it's you melee walk, focus too, right? It is melee focused. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing: the similar idea, but what I think works better is that they there's a section where you're walking through like these warehouse kind of looking place, and there's mannequins. And as mm -hmm. you're walking and you turn around, the mannequins move 
And sometimes you walk forward and you turn around and they don't move. And so it starts to make you feel paranoid. Like they're not moving every time. So I don't know if I'm going crazy (laughs) and I think they're moving because it's starting to psychologically get to me. But also it's the same idea where I think the problem that this game faced is that because it's trying to be scary in your face, Condemned chose to do it by making them move when you weren't looking which felt more scary because they felt unpredictable. The problem I had with this game, Chris, you kind of went on it. The fact that you were still able to use everything that you had meant that it, they weren't scary to me because all I did was walk through the entire section meleeing every single ice body in case it was yep. a real monster. Exactly. And the, the problem with that ends up being that by doing so, any tense nature that it would have had is completely gone and missing from the game. When all you had to do is tell me like, ah, it's, it's too cold. My baton won't extend out because it's frozen. So I can't hit with it. Bam. Here we go. Yeah. It's like, there's little fixes that you can do. Or how about this? Uh, Which I think the the mix would be, you still do that. But then secondarily, you don't know if they're going to bust out until you've walked past them. You walk past them and you think you're safe and then they pump out and then they come and try and grab you from behind. And that creates a sense of true fear and and tense that is not conveyed through there. I did like that part visually and stylistically, but I think from a gameplay level, it it truly failed. And from Mm -hmm. a scare factor level, it failed because it gave me too many devices. Um, I don't know if either of you have played um, Red Barrel's... um, why can I not think of the name of the game right now? Outlast. It is Outlast. Yes. Did you play the first Outlast? I did. I don't think I've even heard of it. I don't know. It's a late PS3 or early PS4 game, actually. Early maybe? PS4. Okay. Huh. And you are you go into an abandoned insane asylum where there are still people within them. Oh yeah. Uh, With the batteries. First person, and you have batteries. Yes. 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 I did now, play a little bit of that. This is that same idea where few games have genuinely terrified me as much of that one because of the fact that I had no recourse. That game is terrifying specifically because of the fact that I cannot do anything against these enemies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's something about hiding under a bed while you see this big monstrous motherfucker walking in and looking under the beds and just hoping to God he doesn't look under the one that you're under because it's, you know, that if you were to put yourself there in real life and then the mechanics match up with that, there's nothing you can do. And that sheer dread of it sets in. And this game fails to do that in almost every aspect. I think the reason that works so well is it really digs into your fears like children, as like a child. Mm-hmm. Of like hiding and being like, you know you can't do anything because you're like two foot tall. Like hiding under your covers, you know, like they can't get yeah. me if I'm under my covers. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's what? Yeah. Well, it it feels like the idea, like, you know, to me, I think one of the things going back to that idea of uh, the game setting everything up, I don't understand why Jacob is such immediately a badass. He's not, he's seemingly unfazed by most of what's going around him. He makes remarks, but he's like, oh, what's that? What are these things doing? He doesn't seem terrified. So it (laughs) doesn't. I mean, low key, he is 100% right, so. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. But yeah, I think that the scare factor of this game is primarily gone because survival horror tends to be at its best when it's a resource game. And often you find yourself 
wanting for resources and feeling like you have more in, ahead of you than your resources can handle. And right. I never felt this way with this game, in part because of the fact that it chose to be melee-oriented. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse because it means that even if you run completely out of ammo, you can, if you get good enough at the game, for the most part, you can survive through any encounter. But that means that every encounter by way of it just feels more annoying than terrifying because you're not scared because you always have an answer. It's just that the answer is so annoying that you don't yeah. want to use it all the time. And I don't feel that strongly. I think that there's a really good basis with this melee system to make something cool. But I yeah. don't know that a horror game was the was the game to put it in is the, is the weird part. The crazy thing is, is like down as I am about this game, I will buy the second one. 100%. <laughs> Me because too. I think the second one will be so much better because I think they'll learn from this. Hopefully, hopefully we're not doing Callisto Protocol 2 and just shitting on it in like four <laughs> years or whatever. It's like, it's the same fucking game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, I exactly. I found the game incredibly terrifying the whole time because I thought it was never going to end. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. The most scary part of the game was whether I was going to have to play it forever. <laughs> like, you know, I I kind you, of want a game to do that. I want there to be a horror game that when you try and exit the game from your from your console, yeah. it, the the first time it fucks with you and it doesn't exit, and it's like you thought you could get away. That would be very then, sick, actually. It like recreates your dashboard, so you like go to pick a different game, but it just boots up that game Dude, again, I or something like would, that. Yeah. I would love that. There's got to be a way for the game to know what your dashboard is, though. I wonder if like games can do that. You know what I mean? Like get yeah. into the system files and see like what games you have downloaded, so it can recreate it. Because that'd be well, cool well, as fuck. Or every icon cool. is yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. See, that's like, what, what I'm thinking. Fuck? I have 40 yeah, copies really cool. of Outlast 3 downloaded, and I don't know why. <laughs> well, hey, it'd be it'd be pretty easy, because think about it this way. The one downside, at least for PlayStation 5, the one downside for PlayStation 5 is since there are no themes, everyone's dashboard looks the exact same. If yeah. you're already replacing every icon for the game with whatever yeah, game is it. there, doesn't matter. Yeah. then you can just create a, a, a random-looking one that matches what everyone else has, as long as they yeah. never inter- implement themes. That's a cool That'd idea. That'd be pretty sick. We got to delete this part so no one steals it. <laughs> I see you like the Callisto Protocol. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so in, in wrapping up Scare Factor and even Core Gameplay Loop, I kind of want to quickly see if we can combine those two together and see if either of you have, and I think we've kind of approached a little bit of it, so this is more of a last last ideas. Do any more of you have an idea to where you can use the existing gameplay to create a better gameplay loop or the existing world characters mechanics for the most part to make a better gameplay loop that does a better job at instilling some sense of fear, terror and or horror within the player. Blake, you're a big horror movie buff. Now this is of course interactive. Do you have an eye? You have a a view in your mind of what you think would have actually worked for you to engage you from a gameplay level but scare you or bring you in in a fear i do want to answer this but i want to answer the last question like seriously because i just made a joke but i do think it's a horror game i don't think that like you know most horror movies don't scare me because i've been watching them since i was six you know what i mean so i'm just not of course 
messed up by them anymore. But so this is still a horror game down to its bare bones. Like there's no denying that. But no, I didn't think it was very scary throughout at all. Sure. And to answer your next question, I don't know. Game development's tough because I don't really know, you know, what would scare you in a game compared to a movie, I guess. Because I really like, for as much as I love horror movies, I don't play horror games a whole lot. Why is that? I don't know. Like, I honestly don't. I have, like, most of the Resident Evils. I love the hell out of Resident Evil 2 remake, so I played a lot of that. And I have 7, so I plan on playing 7 once I get the VR. So I'm almost, you know... I. I fall off of horror a lot. I, I, like I told you, I played a little bit of Outlast years ago. I so so long ago, I forgot what the name of it was called. I had to look it up to see what you're talking <laughs> about. But that and like Amnesia, I tried that before, and I just can't stick with them. So it's hard. It's a hard question for me because I don't really play a whole lot of them to know what works and what doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it does. I've, I find it really interesting that you seem to love them from a non-interactive standpoint, but the interactive element is. Do you think it's the interactive element that pulls you away from the game? Do you think it's because of the fact that you have too much control, and when you're watching a movie, you're a, you're a voyeur, you're you don't have control, you're just witnessing what's happening? That could be it, because I like horror games, so that that's the weird thing too. Is like I buy a lot of them, <laughs> and then I just never fucking play them. So I'm not really sure. I don't know. Maybe it is the the voyeur aspect of just watching it compared to doing it myself. You know. Yeah, I think it depends on what scares you because I think for some people it is a, a feeling of a lack of control and then sometimes it's giving players control and then pulling that control away from them that creates that sense. And that's something you can only really do in an interactive medium. You know, a movie yeah. a movie can play with you by like introducing something that's supposed to comfort you before they pull the rug out from underneath you and bring terror back into play. But a game doing that is a lot different because you control the pace at which that happens and you control mm-hmm. what you do with that power. So it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, some games will do this thing where they'll allow you to basically linger in the happy moment. You know, they Fucking can lingers. They give you that false sense of security and then let <laughs> you linger in it as long as you want. And then it's up to you to remove the Band-Aid. And it's funny because a lot of games know, like you know that you're removing the Band-Aid but you eventually yeah. make that decision. Uh, well, Chris, I think, Blake, that is an answer in and of itself. Uh, so, Chris, to you, yes. do you feel like from the horror games you've played, I know you're a big Resident Evil buff, yes. do you think that there's a way to work within what this game has or maybe slightly alter what this game has within it to create a better gameplay loop that also does a better job at fulfilling its horror aspects or bringing their potential to light? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I don't think I have to go too deep into it because I think I've already kind of said what I would do, right? Where for me, it's just add more gameplay. Take away my weapons. Do something more interesting than just run forward. I think one of the big examples of a place they could have added some variation was, you know, we mentioned the snow part, but there's a part when you're running with Danny after she starts to trust you again where you just fall like eight stories. Yep. And Jacob just gets back up and keeps going. <laughs> like, why didn't I lose my gun? Why didn't I lose any health? Why didn't I, you know, there was ways where, you know, people I think laugh. happens like twice. Yeah, uh, probably. But I specifically remember the one with Danny because it. I remember it looking cartoonishly far how far he fell. Yeah. You know. For him to do, for it to do nothing. There's the to dead him. space fall right. too, where yeah. he's falling through space and you're dodging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all the debris and everything too. 
Yeah. I just think that would have been a really great time to be like, to do one of those things that everyone hates where it slows down the movement and he's limping and going through. And mm-hmm. then even if it's like a, uh, uh, like an on rail section, why isn't there a two head chasing me? You know, like why isn't there anything interesting happening in that section other than, Oh, the straight line is all is a straight line down now. And then it's a straight line back, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, Chris, you brush up against something that I think is a is a really interesting solution for two head. Cause since they want you to bring him in multiple times, right? Blake, you talked about how the way the game currently is set up, if you were to look at its current mechanics and then introduce two head earlier, you would not probably be able to pull it off. Right. You just don't have enough ammo, I don't think. If you look at what Dead Space chose to do, I don't know if you remember this. It may have been Dead Space two. I think it's Dead Space one though. Towards the end of the game. You end up brushing up against this enemy who is unkillable. And what it means is that that feeling of control you have over situations goes away because all you can do is create distance between you and it until you eventually get to a point where you seal yourself away from it for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the two head and you do the same thing, say maybe at the halfway point, two head comes in, right? Chapter yeah. four. Two-head comes in and introduces him in this dynamic y'all have. And instead of killing four different two-heads, you kill, you, you fight one two-head that you yeah. continue to have to create space using the resources you do have. And then with that in mind, you also get away and you escape. And it takes control away from you. It adds a sense of fear. It adds what Chris talks about in this idea of a chase mechanic where you feel helpless and it kind of pulls in that outlast feel I'm talking about. And yeah. then it creates this feeling where every time he comes back up, you're like, oh, it's the same motherfucker instead of, oh, it's a new one of that same thing that's really annoying. You know what I mean? And it could even yeah. be like next time he shows up, like, or the first time he shows up, like you end up taking one of his arms off, like at the elbow. And then the next time you see mm-hmm. him, he's still got that elbow, like from elbow down missing or whatever, you know. So you are kind yeah. of whittling him down throughout the game or something like that. Yeah. Anything Nemesis besides, system. here's a fucking another one. Yeah. yeah. Well, then it's the other thing is it it ruins the novelty of the one. The first time you see the two head, it's kind of cool. Yeah. But then when you kill it and then you see another one, it's like, wait, so this is like a common occurrence. Right. (laughs) And there was a game recently that did that. I can't, I don't know why I brought it up because I can't remember the name of it, but it was every time you found a new enemy, you would just start seeing that one everywhere. And it's like, okay, like why weren't they anywhere before then? (laughs) Yeah. They were just born at this moment and now they're everywhere. Oh, it's kind of like, it's, it's what I love about older games, like uh, the first Infamous game. A lot of the different enemy types were island-specific or part, you know, as you continued to push the map out, you would find them in that area of the map. And yeah. this game kind of doesn't really do that. Like certain gangs or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess moving on, and this I don't think is going to be a very long section, even though I would like to kind of see uh, where we all land on this. Story... The characters and the theme. So really the narrative. The characters within that narrative and the (laughs) themes that it tries to brush against. Thank you for listening to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So I agree. I think we can all say that the biggest problem this game faces, and a lot of games don't have heavy stories. Sonic Frontier does not have a heavy story. But the story works within what the gameplay is trying to get you to do and be a slight motivator. 
So since we all come from the starting point of thinking that the story as is is not interesting enough, the characters as is are not developed enough and given any reason to care about them enough. And then I think it's also fair to say that the game tries to brush against a few themes and completely drops it. So in looking at what the story is, the story is that long ago on this planet, something that they had dug into broke out. And whenever it broke out, it caused this outbreak. But one person ended up for some reason having a better reaction with this infection than everyone else and created essentially what could have been the next step in evolution. That was killed, and now they're trying to recreate the events and the the happenings around that set up for that to happen, hopefully again, and create a new alpha. And yeah. then that's pretty much it. That is the story. And by what they're doing is sending these little capsules of stuff out to try and see if they can get these conditions to be met again. Uh, and that's exactly what you're happening in Blackgate. They're using the prisoners from Blackgate to try and create this again. I don't think that I am leaving anything out and I don't think I'm hesitating yeah. to say that that is, that is the crux of it. And the irony is God of War 2018 proved that a, uh, an idea that simple can work if you try and make everything within that idea and on the way to that end goal, interesting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a complex story to be a good story. No, it does not. So with that in mind, Blake, what are your thoughts on the overall narrative? Do you like that trappings and the setup at least as a on paper? Yeah, idea? I guess like it's not bad. I think it's just executed poorly and I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a writer. So it's hard for me to like dig into exactly where they could have changed it or where it went wrong. Does that make sense? Like I just know the way it is now doesn't work. Yeah. At least for Uh me personally. So I think as uh, that's an interesting way that you bring that up because looking at Chris, Chris does fancy himself somewhat of a writer. And so when we're looking at that in mind, uh, from, from the narrative bones that you have here, this, this premise, do you like it? first of all, and then second of all, do you think that there's a way that you can pretty quickly make a more interesting version of the same events? You know, or, you know, a, an interesting version of the same basic premise. Uh, it's funny because I think they could have gone two ways and I said they went the third way, which is just bad. But I'm playing this whole game assuming there's a big twist coming with Jacob. Like, I assumed that it was going to do the really shitty twist of, oh, Jacob actually doesn't know that he's actually the ringleader of the whole thing. (laughs) And that's why everyone hates him because that's where the game was building to me. Right. Danny, he's an amnesiac and he doesn't know. Yeah. Something right. He was affected by the spore, but it only ruined his frontal lobe. So he forgot the whole thing. (laughs) Like I, I'm not saying that would have been good, but that would have at least been better than what they did. And he's just got two dicks now. We don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he's a true ladies man. Um, because for me, I would have done something like, first off, I would have just had him be a prisoner there. Like, I think the game starts off fundamentally flawed of like, why is he a delivery driver? Because, I guess I can get into it, and I kind of said it on the regular episode of Triangle Squared. But this entire game, right, the story of this game is McDonald's poisoned my food with asbestos. 
and it's the Uber driver's fault. <laughs> and I don't understand the premise yeah. because everyone is looking at the goddamn Uber Eats driver and they're like, you did this. This is your fault. You should have looked in the packages. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, why yeah. would you just on a fundamental human level? Why would you want like, I don't want to. I'm sorry. I don't want to order like a Playboy. Right. And my Amazon driver walks up to my door and goes, yeah, check that package to make sure it wasn't a fucking nuke. Enjoy your jerk. Like, it's weird. So, like, why is the premise of this game? Jacob didn't check the packages and realize that he was transporting an alien disease that's going to cause an apocalypse. It's so stupid. And even if he did, it's just a vial. Like, right. would he have known what it is? But well, that's exactly even- what the game eventually shows you. That yeah, he, that he did know that there were there were vials underneath there, but he thought it was more health stuff. Yeah. Right. So, Chris, let me push back against you for a second. Okay. Or at least look at a, 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 You're right. There's a way to make this work to where he's already in the prison and these events happen, and that is more similar to the dead space approach of Isaac's already on the ship, and then the shit just happens around him, and then he finds out about it from there instead of being part of the Deus Ex Machina of it happening to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like he's not some part of the story; it's just all happening around him, and he's adapting to it within it. And I feel like that shift is a weird tone. But even then, take the story. Have him on the ship, and instead of trying to make it vague as to whether he knows if he's doing something shady or not, make it to where he knows he's doing something shady, even if he doesn't understand the full scope. I think the game is infinitely more interesting if the entire game, Jacob is having to wrestle, and you know, Elias has this line that he says to him, like... uh, you know, you have to take accountability for what you've done. Like, I've killed somebody, and that's why I'm in here, right? And I think if you'd have brought that up in that, that was about halfway through the game, chapter four or so, maybe chapter five. If you have that same line where up until that point, we as the player know that Jacob knew he was doing something illegal, mm-hmm. and he knew he was doing something illicit, but he was ju- he was justifying it as a means to an end, but then by the time that it all comes down, he has to deal with the fact that even if he didn't realize it was going to be this, yeah. he still played a part in it. And then I think you can play with a lot of themes. So if you think about how to fix this, the game seems to try and have this PTSD thing going where Jacob feels bad about the death of his co-pilot. But it, that guilt doesn't make sense when Jacob didn't know anything, which is what the game is saying. I think it makes way more sense if you have the same situation, but Jacob knows he's doing something illegal. He's roped his friend into doing it to him with him. His friend is saying, I don't think we should be doing this. And then all this shit happens. His friend dies. And then he does deal with PTSD of guilt of putting his friend in a situation. And then he also deals with the guilt of knowing that what's happening here, or at least the thought in the back of his head that what's happening here might be involved with the illegal thing that he was not yeah. entirely abreast on. And already, yeah the game is more interesting. Yeah, because it's, it's one thing to blame yourself for something that you ultimately had no control over. People do that all the time. It's another thing sure. for other people to blame you. Like Chris said, like, you didn't fucking know. Like, right. yeah, you would feel bad yourself because you did it. That makes sense. But 
you're not mad at like you said the Uber driver or whatever, but yeah. Because well, I and think, I think it's because they wanted Danny to have this antagonistic relationship with you. But then I feel like the payoff for that is so shitty when she opens the box and just finds the things, and then she's like, "Never mind, you're cool." And I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, so you forced. Have, yeah, well, and it's like the, the friendship with Elias. I actually kind of like how at first it's kind of like a we're just having to help each other. And I even like this little line that Danny says where it's like, did you really care about him or were you just using him as a means to get out of this situation? And the thing is, is that both can be true, but you yeah. still feel like a little bit of shit yeah. for knowing that in a way you were just kind of using his knowledge, but he was also using you. So the game, right. you know, you were using each other means to an end. Cause yeah, I think this game makes a lot more sense if the beginning of the game, rather than him being this unknowing you know, Uber Eats driver. He was hired by that company to bring it in yep. stealthily, failed his mission, yep. got shot down and arrested. There you go. Simple start that makes everything make more sense. Yeah. Instead, it's I was here against my will. Even in the beginning when he gets arrested. Like I understand. This is Jupiter. We're not under American law here where you get your Miranda <laughs> rights read. But it was ridiculous where the guy's like, Yeah, man, you're totally good. No, you're fine. We'll get you, we'll get you back to the thing, we'll get you shipped off. And then fifteen seconds later it's Oh no, you're arrested. Sorry, you're never leaving. Yeah. Where did this switch come from? Like, why does Deacon hate this guy so much? Like he didn't <laughs> Why does Starkiller hate this dude so much? Right. It's like you'd think he cut off someone's arm. I just don't I didn't understand well, it. Maybe I missed something at some point, but the warden seemed to know a lot about your character and Danny. Yep. So like there has to be like he had to have had some reason to keep you there, like that maybe they didn't explain or like I said, maybe I missed it. I don't know. Or maybe it'll be explained in the DLC or something. But the original Infamous has something similar to this where it's it's done so much better, where Kessler is this knowing person who gives Cole, who unknowingly takes this package and then causes this explosion and gives himself his powers. That's the way to do what this game tried to do, where Jacob is unknowing, but a person who's moving all the pawns is given something unknowingly and then these events happen and it was all done as part of a plan. This game yeah. attempts that, but it just fumbles at every step of the way. And that's why I think pivoting it to where Jacob is knowing is at least more interesting. And I think it sets a, a tone that is far more antagonistic and it makes things make sense. Like I have this thing in my head where going back to what we were talking about, we're making it to where he knows he's doing something illegal. And then Danny stows away on his ship to try and find what she suspects him to be doing. That was part of what happened on Europa or whatever. Um, if, if you play that out the same way, you can have it to where throughout the story, he kind of knows or has a strong feeling that this is due to what he was carrying, even though he doesn't know what it is. But when mm -hmm. Danny's being antagonistic to him, he kind of plays it off because he's still unsure if it really is his fault. And then whenever he follows Danny into the ship and she finds the cargo, habits where he has to actually deal with lying to her so he can keep this alliance so that he can try and get somewhere. Or at least you have more opportunities for interesting character actor interactions. You can have it to where we as the player know he's lying when he says, yeah, it's just medical supplies when he knows that while I don't know exactly what it is, I know it's not simply medical supplies. 
And that can create an interesting thing. And then whenever he finally does do that thing where he jacks into Danny and has experiences her memories, and then he feels bad for what he did because he understands that it was him, that is so much more powerful if he feels that way and then sacrifices himself to save Danny because he can't turn away. Like Elias said, he has to face accountability for what he now knows he did. Mm -hmm. Bam. You have a story that brings itself back around full loop. Yeah, he uses the PTSD he feels for putting his friend in this situation and you can use him as a, a visual reference for the times where he's interacting with Danny and you think the game already tries to do that when Danny gets knocked out and you get knocked out you see your friend at the end of the hallway when you're like experiencing this weird haze and that can be your signal that he knows subconsciously that he's feeling the guilt he feels towards his friend also towards Danny and I, it's there's so many ways to make the themes that this game tries to brush against actually in the game and actually makes them do something potent. And I think yeah. it misses every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, do you have any more? Blake, do you have any more you want to add specifically to this point before we get to how the story, characters, themes, gameplay, and everything all come together into the very end of the game, the final boss? <laughs> not, not about this exact point, but with the character just in general, Danny Nakamura... I think so, so for this this whole game, I was thinking that she was named after the dead spaceship, and I was like, that is so fucking on the nose. And then I realized that the dead spaceship is Ishimura, and I was yep. like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so close. I thought just I haven't played Dead Space since it came out, so I was like, what? Like I get that they're the devs, but they just straight stole the name. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> yeah, that'd have been funny. Uh, so. Here we are, end of the game. All of these actions have come together. And I think when I'm talking about the end of the game, I think it's fair to talk about from the fi- the time where you first re or in- or reintroduced um, to the, the roided out potential alpha version of Sam Whitworth's character. Well, like all the way through the mm-hmm. time that you fight him where he fully transforms. Yeah. So this goes back to this idea of stories and characters. So throughout all this you have this character who's so super antagonistic against you all because the warden wants you alive and the game doesn't do anything to make you hate him mm-hmm. to make you feel like you have a, a genuine rivalry against him. The warden and it just tells you uh, specifically Sam Witwer, but oh, the okay. warden as well. I think these same things go true for them. I don't think the game builds the antagonistic. The most antagonistic person that the game actually builds towards is Danny and then it yeah. drops it at the flip of a hat it goes oh never mind (laughs) yeah well the warden but only because he like shot down the escape ship like halfway through whatever like that was the first time i was like oh this guy sucks besides like getting arrested for nothing but you know what i mean like sure after the outbreak or whatever you know like even even true to an extent with danny but specifically sam whitworth's character the the security dude i guess and uh the the warden If you look at both of those, I don't want to project my thing on y'all. Do you, either of you, feel like the game actually made meaningful interactions with either of them to make you feel like you had a real antagonistic relationship with them yourself and not that the game was just trying to tell you that there was one? No, just Danny, like you said. Okay, Chris? No, I don't think there was any indication that I should have. I guess at least with... um, the captain, I can't remember his full name, but he was just a dick. 
So it did make sense that there was some rivalry between the two. It was like two men measuring dicks the whole game. But other than that, there <laughs> yeah, wasn't but he was much. only a dick really to the extent that like you would think that a correction officer was a dick to an inmate. You know what I mean? Like he was never so much of a dick where it's like, whoa, this guy fucking sucks. It's like, no, sure. it's about in line yeah. with what I would expect. I don't know. Until mm-hmm. the very end when right. he's like, like, okay, the first thing where he uh, ends up opening the hatch with you and Elias and puts you out in the snow. That yeah. felt more just like, hey, you made those fucking things knock me out the window. This is payback, bitch. And the yeah. game even presents it that way, right? Being accountable mm-hmm. for your actions. And he's like, I couldn't have said it better myself, opens the hatch. Um, but the problem is, is that suddenly at the end of the game, it's like he hates you because apparently you you might be the actual alpha. <laughs> and so he's pissed know. that he's apparently a beta cuck. Yeah, that's soy boy behavior right there. Yeah. So th- that's the thing is like this, inter- this interaction <laughs> with him where you're fighting him and he keeps swinging you. And somehow he's significantly easier than two head yeah for some reason and he just keeps going i don't care if he wants you alive (laughs) (laughs) and then the game gets back into the same thing where it's unblockable things just for him to throw you and it does nothing other than just make the long fighter Mm -hmm. he grabs you you can't block it he throws you in the ground nothing happens you stand up and he couldn't even close the gap and it just starts all over again um so Blake, I know that you said that you're not a writer, and so you don't necessarily know how to approach this from how you would have fixed it. But I still am curious. Overall, specifically looking at the end game, not the last two chapters or anything like that, even though they have their own things, specifically the end of the game coming to a head and trying yeah, like to the come last cutscene in the boss fight, right? Yeah. Okay. Did that cement your feeling of dislike toward the game did it really just feel like what you had done to the rest like was it more impactful making you dislike the game was it neutral and what you'd grown to expect or did it do anything to actually swing you back towards positive i think at that point i was just like i'm just ready for it to be over i wasn't even like i was paying attention but only to the extent of like i've got my headphones on and i'm listening you know what i mean like i wasn't like invested at all anymore yeah i hadn't i really it didn't make me hate it more didn't make me like it more i was just kind of neutral i guess it was a bad ending, but it wasn't something that ruined the game for me because the game was already ruined for me. Okay, so you know how you talked about earlier this uh, that you would buy Callisto 2 day one. Clearly Probably, this game yeah. makes reference to... It, it's essentially a Marvel game. <laughs> it makes reference to what it wants to do with a little, oh, hey, by the way, you thought this was the end, but guess yeah. what? I might have a way hard cut to black uh well there's also story dlc in march so like is that gonna be like the end of this game or is this a cliffhanger for the second game or for the dlc yeah please do not be please do not make this be a prince of persia 2008 much better game but both games end where the actual ending is dlc and i hate that azura's wrath Yeah, yeah 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 great game but yeah Happened a lot, but and it was all at least back then they were always good games that just for some reason decided that was the right move at the end. I will not be buying the DLC for this game. Me either. I not like Chris I just got anyway. the DLC, didn't you? I was gonna you? say I have the season pass, baby. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> for the low, low uh, price, too. Oh so, god. But going into that, right? <laughs> setting aside the actual final boss fight right now, yes. Blake, do you feel like that final cutscene of 
Jacob and Danny running, him curing her, them running, getting to the escape pod, him putting her on, sacrificing himself before, bam, doctor tells them we might have a way out. Specifically looking at that, did that give you the hype for the second game or was it strictly the potential of the game up until the point that you disliked it that made you like, maybe they can fix it? I I rolled my eyes like when the doctor was like, I have a way out. And then what's his name? Like showed up right at the last second or whatever. I was like, okay, it's one of those endings. It just is so <laughs> cliche. Maybe because I watch way too much horror movies, but it's such a cliche. Like there's going to be a sequel. It's yeah. Like, okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just kill okay, the Chris. main character or something, I guess. Like, do something. Same question to you. While we're while we're on the final cutscene, eventually we're going to take a step back and look at the the actual boss fight and how all that culminates. But that final cutscene, did it make you hype for a sequel? Did it give you a little ounce of hope, or were you already still just kind of like eh by then? No, I rolled my eyes. Like like I said, is because it wasn't. You can't. <laughs> You can't. Chris tease is mad me. now. We gotta give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the thing is, they it goes. Okay, Jacob's gonna survive. He, there's a way out. We're t- we're teasing the sequel, but then it ends with a Friday the Thirteenth jump scare. Well, well, Jason didn't actually drown, and it's like, yeah. okay, so what? What are you going for here? Is there a way out, or is he dead? Because I know for a fact he ain't got time to fight this guy again. Right, so he's literally laying here. Like a- Exactly. Like he's done. He gave up on life. As the building is exploding. <laughs> right. right. So it's like, is the next game going to open up with a boss battle? And then it's like, you have 15 seconds to get across the map. And then it's going to be like, oh, wow. Well, this game also sucks because this is ridiculous. Oh, so, my gosh. If two opens with the exact same style boss fight as the end of one, <laughs> I would. I will be so mad. It would be kind of funny if they playing. did that and then fixed the rest of the game. <laughs> but they were like, as an homage to how shitty the first game is. It'd be great if the first couple of seconds are visually so similar that you're like, oh, no. But then they're like, here's all these new mechanics, baby, because yeah. we're a video game and we can just fix shit in the next game, even though we don't have to explain how we made all these good changes. <laughs> we put in a HUD. Suddenly, he had better mechanics. <laughs> Why does he have a chainsaw strapped to his arm? <laughs> We've already established that he's a Mary Sue, so you could just give him a rail gun, you know, everything. But go ahead, Chris. Oh, I didn't have any more. It's just I thought it was a bad way to end the game. He's got Jedi Force powers immediately, and then well, I guess he kind of already does. So he <laughs> is a star killer. <laughs> I, I just think that if you, they could have done one of the two things they did. They could have done the, I have a way to get out of here, or they could have done the jump scare. But by doing both, it invalidates both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did laugh at the final jump scare because I'm like, the game just can't fucking stop. It's like, another <laughs> jump scare. We're, we tried again, did it work? And. I'm not joking at all when I say, and this is just me. I understand that. I did not jump at a single jump scare. I don't now think look, I did either. Smile, recent horror movie. Pretty Great, good. by the way. Yeah. Not, not a lot, but a handful of jump scares. One of them actually got me. And good. <laughs> and this game, this game can't. This game can't get me once. Yeah. That's kind of sad. Jump scares have to be earned. Like, I mm-hmm. don't, 
jump scares get a lot of hate and horror, but I don't hate them when they're in movies. Like no, Evil, dude. The, the Evil Dead remake has some jump scares that, like, on my third and fourth watch, I still jump. Like, I'm still like, oh, shit. I forgot that was going to happen. <laughs> There's some jump scares in Until Dawn that every time I've played that game, they get me every time because they're mm-hmm. effective. They know what they're doing and they build yeah. They think about the tension that's actually building and then they pay it off. The problem with this game is that it never builds that tension to me. No. So, it's therefore, the jump scare... The jump scare is never bringing my attention to a head to break me for a second. Whereas there were multiple times where I was, I mean, like almost shaking a little bit and like outlast, as I mentioned earlier, where it's Mm -hmm. like shit gets so crazy that when something happens, you're like, oh my God. Oh, (laughs) and it's, it's very, very real terrifying. So it's funny that this game can't even, you know, for as much people talk about Dead Space 3 being an action game more than a horror game. Dead Space 3 is a scarier game or a more tense game than this. And I never that's played 3. Really saying something. Uh, but with that in mind, going back, I really want to look at the gameplay because I'll tell you, the final boss fight is an example of how this, this game's gameplay just doesn't work. It's atrocious. The final boss is awful. So bad. The idea of, you know, this idea that you can only hurt him once you've done enough damage to him for him to become vulnerable which doesn't even make sense. But okay, mm-hmm. we'll go through it. And when it. he becomes invulnerable, he just like spawns a bunch of explodey boys. Yeah. Like, and okay. the game's field of view is so tight that, that you can't t- see where yeah. they're all coming from. If you try and turn around and run, you run the risk of him throwing these things at you. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that all of these things could work. If the game was a little more nuanced and really knew how to work with its mechanics and maybe pulled out its uh, field of view at certain moments. Or at least give us the option. Yeah. Well, even then, right, this is a boss fight in a small room with a big enemy. Yeah. Take the opportunity to do what like God of War used to do. Okay, we normally have the camera a lot closer to you, but we're going to pull it out so that you can yeah. see what you're doing in this area because you need to. We have all of these mechanics that you have to interact with. And and part of me likes the idea of like, okay, we're going to require the grip glove because more or less they do. You have to pick up the floaty boys and throw them at him to save ammo and to startle him and get him messed up. Well, I often threw the exploded boys at the other exploded boys. I did that same thing, which also yeah. is, hey, at least the boss fight is making you use mechanics from the game. I can yeah. appreciate mm-hmm. that. Uh, but why didn't that also incorporate the guns? Why didn't I have to use specific guns for specific things? Why didn't mm-hmm. I have to use the triple shot action of the assault rifle. You know, why didn't I have to use the ripping power of the shotgun? Why didn't you make me use the speed of the pistol? Why didn't these things come into play where the only way to get through them is to actually utilize all of the mechanics the game has given you up until this point? I didn't realize also how, first of all, that the final boss was going to be in that room, but then Mm -hmm. how much ammo I was going to need. So I actually had to like reload a save that was maybe 20 minutes earlier before I had upgraded some weapons and not upgrade my weapons and just buy all the ammo that I could. Yeah. Like, so I had to actually like reload it. Like it's not even possible. Like if you don't have enough ammo, you can't beat the boss mm-hmm. or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is all melee, but no, the explodey boys come <clears throat> in cause you'll always have grip recharge, right? So if you can just run long enough, you have to have enough damage, enough ammo to get through the first phase where you make him vulnerable as long as you sure. have enough for that, which isn't much, then that's when the explodey boys start spawning. Then you okay. can grip them, throw them at him or throw them at the others, and they drop their bodies when they explode, drop ammo, health, and all those different things. Okay, so maybe I was just 
being piss poor at it, but it, that that boss, I mean, it took me probably twenty five tries. Uh, yeah, me too. And for nothing other than just the game, <laughs> it it wasn't the Dark Souls style of like, ah, I fucked up, but I see how I fucked up. It right. was like I fucked up because these mechanics are a mess, and trying yeah. to juggle them is not effective. And even on easy, it's a two hit kill. Yep. And like Chris said, it's a fifty five second fucking health. <laughs> renewal like there's no way to reheal like you have to sprint all the way across hope he doesn't start sprinting and heal just so that there's enough time that he can only hit you once to get your health back down to half so that you can yep. run away there was a few times where i healed and i was right at the end of the animation and i got lucky i at the end of the animation i was holding right so that as soon as he swung mm-hmm. i would dodge yeah. And it worked, surprisingly, but it was very annoying. Uh, but most of the time that I was dying in that, it was it was cheap deaths. It was deaths that felt like there was not much I could have done to really do any different. Right. Uh, and I think that's the difference. In, in all other games where you have to try the final bosses a lot, I feel like I understand where I failed. The game has fi- found a way to show me and teach me, or it's been puzzling enough that the reward of figuring out how to do it right is like solving a puzzle. And that's not what this was. You know, like uh, you, you think about some platforming boss fights where it's about learning a pattern and understanding when you have opportunities to do stuff. And that's not what this was. There is no pattern. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's just run and hope that he doesn't start sprinting. And like yeah. there, were part, there were times where I was literally like vaulting, shoot, vaulting, shoot, vaulting, shoot, like over and over just mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't have enough time to run around. Because yep. as soon as you get too far away, like if you sprint far enough to be able to turn around and shoot him, he starts sprinting. Yep. And then you can't, like, it's just a terrible, terrible boss fight. Yeah, the table in the middle? I don't even think there's a way I to fix it. I think it's just Walking broken. around the table. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad Yeah, I didn't even think about that, yeah. Well, so, you know, um, Chris, go ahead. What's up? No, the funny thing about this No, you boss didn't raise fight. your hand, Chris. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> the funny thing about Fix this boss fight is that you guys are talking about all this stuff you had to do. I didn't do any of this. I beat the boss fight standing in one spot. What did you do? Just shot him a bunch. I don't know how because I remember reading about how crappy the boss fight was. I didn't realize the boss fight was starting. Then this whole thing happens. And I'm like, okay. And I just unload the shotgun into his face. Then I unload the AR into his face. And then the cutscene plays and the game's over. And I was like, Dude, what the I hell just wish. happened? <laughs> I wish. I tried that. I had the riot gun, full ammo, eight. Uh, eight round capacity one two three four yeah. he goes in the vulnerability <laughs> one two three four switch to my skunk gun one two three four i broke 13 controllers <laughs> <laughs> this game cost me a thousand dollars he throws that little projection than me and <laughs> the only way for me to do it is to literally move like right, right. through those projectiles and i have to move to the left to not get hit by them mm-hmm. uh, i i'm amazed that you're like i that. genuinely don't know what you're talking about by projectiles and Explody Boys, no clue what the hell you're talking he about. He shoots. I never saw them. Or spit or whatever it is. Little like white balls and they would hit you. But they would hurt way less than his like slap. So I would, oh. yeah. Yeah, I just never dodged those. <laughs> I no. just got, I just tanked it. And then I just shot him more. <laughs> See, I would run away far enough to heal where he wouldn't, it wouldn't be so far that he'd start sprinting. But it would be far enough that he would spit because 
they wouldn't stop you from healing mm. and it would only hurt you a little bit. So you'd get more health from the heal than you would from right. the, the hit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting funny. that you had such a different uh, experience in the end though. Cause I did try that. I thought the game's on easy. Can I just, no, can I just raw dog this guy? Can I just want to, you know, cause I was on and easy it too work. and it's two hits and you're dead. Yeah. And I had my, all my guns fully uh, upgraded for their, their damage output and their special damage versions. Um, one thing I th- I, that I know we're kind of rounding out at the end of the game and feel free to talk about any more of it. But one thing I thought was really interesting is that the game's inventory system to what you're able to find out in the wild feels like this is a game that's made with new game plus in mind, because sometimes I would see like CPU things or mm-hmm. the, the different, you know, the, the cores that are just meant to sell and I would think there is no way for me to have had enough inventory space to actually utilize this and pick them yeah. up and sell them, even if I were to drop all my ammo or all my grip packs or whatever, you know? And so well, that was some, really like, weird. right outside the boss fight, which I know that's for, like, to level up your stuff yeah. right before the boss fight. But still, it's like, you give me a thousand, but it's not enough to buy any of the upgrades I need. So I'm just, like, buying ammo, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it, it's it's the hardest thing about talking about this game is that I I feel like it's easy in some sections to see where the designers failed and it's easy to see their intent. And then other times I feel like I can't even understand what the intent of the designers was. And that is the thing that makes talking about this game hard from a gameplay focus. I think story-wise, I've outlined many ways in which I think the story and the characters are weak and paper thin. But the irony of it is, is that it's so close with just a few tweaks where everything within it still works. Uh, So I think my biggest way to sum up my thoughts on this game is (laughs) floundered opportunity. I agree. Yeah. It's like I said on the show, and it's a it, um, regular show, and my it's my take for this whole game. They just needed to get it out before Dead Space and Resident Evil 4. Yeah. So they rushed it. And I'm That's not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. It's an appetizer. You know, it's, 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 it's the, you know, frozen Southwest egg rolls to the steak that's about to come out. Like, it's fine. Yeah. But I don't but ever want to eat Southwest egg rolls again. But it's Southwest egg rolls that were like almost cooked enough, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're fine. I'll eat them. I'm not going to complain, but they're not great. Right, like, like I've you, had better. You need the <laughs> dipping sauce to hide the parts that are still a little frozen. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> My egg roll yeah, is waterlogged. <laughs> I hate that, that that's how you feel, and I agree, because it's unfortunate that that's where the game has to be relegated when this could have been the juicy steak to Dead Space being the dessert. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. it should have been. And yeah, you're right. It's it's un- it's not that it's the worst thing in the world to be the kind of meh appetizer before, a, before the good dish, but you know. And then Resident Evil 4 is the dessert, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and now as long as they change the controls, maybe I'll actually beat the game. Hot take: (laughs) that game kind of sucks to play. (laughs) Chris is over here, like, how dare you? (laughs) Disgusting. Chris is like seething at the teeth that you can aim (laughs) 
and move at the same time. I mean, I'm pissed that Isaac talks. So, like, I'm very much in the camp of leave it alone and just make it look prettier. Oh. Except in terms well, of Twisto you... protocol, change everything you did. <laughs> change everything. <laughs> Start over. Those storyboards, right. throw them away. It's the exact opposite. The Callisto is already beautiful. So it's like, just keep the visuals and change right. everything else. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I do think, uh, I, I think it's fair to say. And I, I, so now that we've kind of talked about it, and, and seeing each other's viewpoints, which I think the answer is mean is going to be that they haven't changed. Do you feel like you still stick with your original rating after this conversation? It's a two. I was going to say, I almost want to drop mine. Yeah. Like the more I talk about it, the more upset I am about it. I'll, when I said 5.5, I'm going to go 4.7. Oh, wow. Okay. So nuance. Yeah. Okay. This is, I'm so, on a hundred rating it's a, scale. It's now. a seven. It's a seven point drop. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know the more i talk about it and the more i think about the missed potential the problem is is that when you think about games you talk about them in this way and when you separate yourself from the experience both good and bad it makes it easier to view them in a negative viewpoint and that is unfortunate yeah. but at the same time i think this is a game that when i see people on twitter talking about how they're enjoying it i never see any quantifiable reason why they're enjoying it and that doesn't mean that they're not enjoying it but what i think it means is that for the people who are enjoying it it's a more surface level enjoyment that's just looking past the issues to just say i'm having a a, a, enough fun in the moment to justify what i spent and the time i'm spending on it i think that's okay for some people i think people are scared to Admit they wasted their money too, though. I think mean, that can Always be part a of thing. it. Always a thing. But I do think there are people that genuinely are are happy with the game and the way it is. I would be hard pressed to find someone who adores this game in the way it is. Yeah. But I know that they undoubtedly exist. It's so a it's competent okay. enough game that I understand that people like it. Like, yeah, same. I would never be mad that someone likes it. Like, it's fine. You know, it's not like. Um, what is that Panther game on PS4 that everyone always talks Life about? Life of Black Tiger. Black Tiger, yeah. Like this isn't that. Like and that's what's so disappointing about it, I think. Like I said, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs> like as a joke, <laughs> but I'm serious because the devs are super competent. Like they've proven yeah. themselves before, or at least the the main devs, you know, the ones that came from Dead Space and stuff. So like they can make a really good game. A great yeah. game even. And they just didn't hear and that sucks. It's sad. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about it, but Glenn Schofield, who started this up and started Striking Distance, uh, he did originally come from Dead Space, but Mm -hmm. in recent years, he was involved with Sledgehammer. So he was involved with games like Advanced Warfare and World War II. World War II is one of my favorite Call of Duty, like more recent Call of Duty games. Yeah, so you and I think everyone's aware that he does know how to make a great game, but -hmm. I think the biggest thing here is that it had it had a foot in two different graves, and it just didn't want to be fully in one. Uh, yeah. That's a little morbid, but really, it had its dead space trappings. But it's like instead of committing to being dead space to a degree, they wanted to make sure it was different enough. But in doing so, they made a game that feels like it's 
half-assed trying to be Dead Space, half-assed trying to be something else, but the the meeting point in the middle doesn't match. It doesn't. Yeah. Th- those seams just can't work with each other. It's like uh, what we talked about with Far Cry Five story in a different aspect, but the same thing is like they were scared to go one way or the other. They so they stayed in the middle, and it was for the worse, you know. And made, yeah, they made something that's just decidedly fine, center mediocre. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's the best way to describe this game: mediocre with loads of potential, which. It's exactly how I describe Far Cry 5's story. Mediocre yeah. with loads of potential. Uh, and there's something and to say, too. Like, okay. all of our scores are low, but we all immediately agreed, like, yeah, we're buying the sequel. Right. Yeah. Like, so there's something there. So, you know, how often can you say this game sucked, but I will buy the second one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you did that with Death Stranding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I love Death Stranding. Yeah, you just didn't want to play the ending at all. Oh, yeah. It was too much, man. I don't want to sit here for four hours, watch your cutscenes. Get on with it. <laughs> Let me walk and hold my... And I say that like it's a pejorative, knowing full well that I adored the gameplay. The gameplay is so good. I love it. I don't want to watch all the cutscenes, though. I'll watch the cutscenes on YouTube before the second one comes out, just so I'm caught up. But like, I wanted to. I was excited to finish it, and then it just kept fucking going anyways different game <laughs> different spoiler chat <laughs> welcome to uh, triangle square for the spoiler chats on <laughs> death stranding uh, uh, uh. all right boys thank you all for am. joining me yeah thank you all for joining me appreciate it uh hopefully if we ever reconvene uh three years two years four years from now with how game development goes, it seems like it's going to be longer <laughs> rather than shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, maybe in the next couple of years when we reconvene to talk about uh, um, Callisto Protocol 2, yep. it'll be, hey, this is a game that realized the potential the first game set and you know so clearly set up. So I want it to uh, kick ass. Me too. There's nothing like wanting a game to succeed. And yeah. while we all wanted this game to succeed, the one thing that we can at least agree that it succeeded on is setting a, a seed of planting a seed <laughs> of interest in us for more if they can fix it. I yeah. agree. It's, it's a cool world. That's the hardest thing. Creating an IP is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can play it. It's all there. the buttons worked, even though they didn't put all the, the mechanics in the right buttons. <laughs> they had about five unused <laughs> buttons, but it's okay. So many. I don't think I used like the whole left or the whole right side of the controller. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's let's give the game a chance to breathe from our collective beating down on it. But I hope that anyone who listened to this today understands that we came from a place of looking at the game as people who were excited and ultimately disappointed. And I hope yeah. that you saw through our discussions that we were attempting to describe ways in which we think the game could improve as its current state already is and hopefully ways in which they can utilize to make the second game bigger and better if you liked what you heard today consider becoming a patron go over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month people who do will get episodes of spoiler chats when we do them early and then they'll of course eventually go out free for everyone uh this episode's kind of in a special place we're using it as a filler for holidays so hope everyone had a good holiday season and if you picked up callisto protocol played it and then came and listened to this uh i would be very excited 
and interested to hear your thoughts, where they line up with ours, where they diverge from ours, uh, and what you thought of the game. So if you want to chat Callisto, hit us up on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. Follow us there just to keep up with episodes and what we think about different ideas. Uh, you can find Chris at, what is it, Chris Figs underscore? Correctamundo. Hey! And then Blake... For anyone who wants to follow you and get your opinion on movies, games, and everything else, tell me if I'm right. Is it Popes underscore Blake non, underscore nine two, or is it? It is P O B S T. Gotcha. Okay, you can find him there. And then last but certainly not least, if you want to join our Discord, which we always have linked in the description of podcast, service, video, uh, you can find us, talk to us day to day, moment to moment. We appreciate you guys who do so. Good group of you. Uh, and with that being said, I think we will be off to have another episode another week. Blake <laughs> clearly has something to say before he leaves. So with this, I will leave you with the final words of the ghost of Blake Popes. Chris, you've lost your opportunity. <laughs> I just have to say, join us next week for the Red Dead Redemption 2 spoiler <laughs> 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 Next no, week? Join the Patreon. Get Brett to play Red Dead 2 again so we can do a Red Dead 2 spoiler chat. Yeah. I mean, after the middle of January, I'm down. Right now, I'm, I'm up against the bar of trying to play games for our awards. I got to play I'm, the game, I'm too. I'm failing miserably. So. <laughs> <laughs> By that I point, just Chris has it. to play it again, too. <laughs> I just played it, too. But it's so it's such a big game. You have to take notes. Like, I've got to have notes for it because I'll forget My, everything I ever want to say. <laughs> here's what I hope happens. We all replay the game. Chris swings back to thinking it's a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> The funnier thing would be if you two ended up hating it. <laughs> My fourth playthrough just ruined me. This game like, sucks. This sucks. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, it took Chris four times of playing it to like it. It took me four times. To, this game is awful. Now, all right, guys. Those are your final words from Blake Pope's ghosts. Uh, maybe one day you'll see him reprise his role for a Red Dead 2 spoiler cast. Uh, but Blake, thanks for joining us. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Been a fun guest. Hell yeah, Absolutely. Bro. Chris, enjoy your work day. <laughs> uh, it's going to be so busy tomorrow. I don't want to do it. Hey, it's life, man. But until next time, this has been Spoiler Chats. Signing off with a thank you to our patrons, Savoy Prime, Alex, Barry Rogers, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Steven Salazar, and Shadowist. If you would like to join them, again, head to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. Thank you to all.